Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast. Our 50 years of Chelsea series continues courtesy of an international break this weekend. So I'm delighted that we have to, uh, you know, get to carry it on. And as you may recall, uh, we finished off with a a, a very momentous year, uh, 1996 to 1997, or that season anyway, when, of course, Chelsea won the FA Cup for the first time since 1970. So we all left feeling rather happy. Uh, and I'm delighted to say that we're carrying on with 1997 to 1998, which uh, I think was a obviously a very memorable uh season not least because we won a couple of trophies but it's also you know because obviously doing the the research for this earlier on so many memorable matches for uh, various reasons the Arsenal loss at home being a strange one to remember but I always remember that Uh, Tromso in the snow of course the 6-1 we won 6-1 we won 6-1 we won 6-1 at the lane lane. so you know exactly so these matches live long in the memory because this is over 20 years uh, ago now so there we go so I'm really looking forward to going back over the 1997-1998 season now of course for those of you uh, who've yet to be discovered in the Amazon rainforest I am Stamford Chidge and as ever I am joined by a cast of very knowledgeable very experienced people who were there actually if the truth were to be told they were probably there far more frequently than me because unlike them I'm a bit of a rubbishy Chelsea fan whereas they are all top notch and A plus and the first of those and the oldest of those will go by seniority <laughs> is the wonderful Mr Jonathan Kidd Hello I'm very old and I'm on the program how lovely to be here who are you I don't oh, know yeah. I can't remember Yes that's right um uh, you said describe me as knowledgeable earlier. Well, I know I'm only knowledgeable because the wonderful Mark Meehan mentioned something and I go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's right. But it has to be, I have to be nudged every time. Having said that, though, this season is, I remember more about this season than I've remembered about any of the other seasons that we've done so far, mm-hmm. which um, which I find, I don't know why. I've no idea why it's the case. But um, I will therefore be, we will be knowledgeable in certain areas, whereas before I, I relied heavily on the me and nudge, whereas now I will be able to offer my own views on things that happened because I was there. So, Indeed. Well, not, that I, not that I wasn't there before, I just was there and some I've remembered. You were there in mind and body as opposed Indeed. to just body. Indeed. 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 Well, Indeed. yeah, I mean, exactly that. And I mean, as we've said many, many times, these shows have taken on an entirely new dimension since we uh, paid, an, paid a, a Romelu Lukaku-sized fee uh, to sign Mark Me, I mean, actually, we didn't do that at all. But uh, he, he very lovely volunteered and said, "I'd love to do these shows with you, Chich. They're great fun." Uh, but Mark has really uh, beefed it up immeasurably by by supplying me with notes of anecdotes that uh, he can remember of that time. And we are we are just so lucky to have him on the show, Mark. A- again, a great welcome to you. No, thank you very much, Chidge. Very much looking forward to tonight's show. As you said at the start, yeah, a really memorable season, many games, yeah, many things that happened and a few trophies at the end of it. And let's see tonight if JK can give me a nudge. Well, <laughs> yeah, stranger things have happened. Now, uh, to, to make the show complete, we also have another uh, uh, well-loved member of the Chelsea fancast mob uh, in the form of... Uh, Dane Whittle, who uh, I can say, because because those of you those of you listening in black and white will not know that uh, Dane is wearing a 1997-1998 season shirt. Well done, Dane. You've uh, you you put us all to shame, mate. <laughs> it's another one that was in the loft that that's a drag out and smells a bit, but yeah, no, it still feels all right actually. I had to roll up the sleeves, but no, really looking forward to this. I watched the uh, review yesterday. 
and and like JK got reminded of how many games I actually went to. What a brilliant season, lots of ups, a few downs, which ended in a lovely night in Sweden. So really looking forward to this. And obviously, yeah, reading Mark's notes as well. Wow, you know what? Sometimes you think you you have a good memory of of, of I'm, I, I could always name like players and and goals, but wow, Mark takes it onto another level. Tip my hat to him if I had it on. Mm. Well, what I would say, uh, Dane, I suspect in a very apocalypse now way, your Chelsea shirt smells of victory. <laughs> yeah, yes, it does. Yeah, by the end of the night, it probably smell of sweat. But well, indeed. But uh, thankfully, you're not sitting with us, so we're all right. <laughs> um, right, we better get on with the show now. Before we do that, I mean, I'd like to get the plug. We don't do really many plugs at all uh, in this show. You'll probably be relieved to know. So I'll get them out of the way quick. Uh, the first of all, of course, is that just to remind you that we do have a Patreon thingy, Bob. What's it? Where many people, I'm delighted to say basically donate money to the show to me really just to say thank you for doing what we do uh, and to help us to continue doing what we do and uh, I love you all for doing it I mean there's no pressure on it at all I mean I don't don't have tears or things like that or you know because and I don't really put much on there if the truth be told because I'm way too busy but uh, it is a pretty good way to get hold of me because I do check the messages there and occasionally I do put stuff up that might interest you but either way, it's lovely to see you there. It's lovely that you show your appreciation for what we do. So if you want to do that, uh, you go to patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. Uh, and of course, if you do do that, you will get a um, a mini Kerry Dixon banner. So a replica of the one that you can see up at the Matthew Harding end. Uh, it's not the same size, you'll be delighted to know. It's about, I don't know, foot and a half long, maybe, if that. So, But it's a nice thing you can stick up on your wall at home. Uh, and uh, and admire from afar and uh, the other thing is we will also give you access to our discord group which is a huge amount of fun uh, loads of really good people who either they've come through Pat- patreon or the, or they're in in our prem predictions league and uh, they all gather in there around the matches and talk about stuff ask us questions you name it i mean there's so many platforms on there it's great fun and you get to join that too so there we go so there's a couple of benefits i suppose if you like uh now we always start the show off really by having uh, a look at what the kit was this year and you've already heard me talk about dane's fabulous shirt and i have to say i, I do this is a this is a chelsea shirt that i do love and i wonder if some of that has to do with the fact that it comes in a successful trophy winning season but it is definitely one that I love, and it's a new one. The home shirt is new this year. Um, we've got a new sponsor as well. Uh, Cores have gone, and Autoglass have come in. And, uh, you know, as I said, a lovely new shirt, which is kind of, obviously, it's blue. Uh, we've got white socks still, but it's got the kind of, you know, slight kind of pinstripe blues down it, but a lot of white in it, and under the arms, and a bit of yellow and blue around the collar, uh, now, J.K. is our fashion guru when it comes to kits, as we know. Well, thank you so much. Yes. What do you think of this one? Do you like this one? Uh, well, in actual fact, I'm sorry to, to join issue here, but, but um, Dane, your shirt is the wrong colour. Uh, it's a dreadful thing to say, but it was much lighter blue than this. I think it's the, uh, I've got a bad lighting in this. It is no, it is like actually quite light. Can oh, oh, yeah, that's better. That's better. He's everybody at home. He's he's doing a kind of butch. Um, <laughs> he's thrusting uh, his bosom in our general direction. Thrusting his chest in our direction. Yeah, and it is because one of the time what we all objected to about this kit Very was light. that it was it was a light blue, and it wasn't the same blue that we were used to that had been associated with all the the the, uh, the earlier sixties and seventies uh, stuff. So there was a there was a rumble of discontent about this kit, particularly the yellow 
Lots of people complained about the yellow, but Bates had stuck it in the badge because they'd been red before. And people were saying, where's the yellow in the badge then? What's this coming for? And yet there was a bit of yellow in the, uh, in the, in the, the original badge. And the white flashes underneath as well were absolutely revolutionary. But of course, um, with refle on reflection, with the appalling Nike kits that we're forced to deal with at the moment, it's, it's, it's absolutely fabulous. And this has become one of my favourite kits also because it symbolises a very specific era in the club's history. And, uh, um, but at the time, it created lots of rumbles. But as I say, particularly because it looked almost, there was a touch of, of sky blue about it, which we didn't like at all. Um, but uh, now I, I absolutely love it. It's brilliant. And the, um, the yellow is something that I don't have a problem with. I'd like a kit that's got yellow and red in it, because then you could just say, ah, ah, it's, it's exactly like the badge, you know. So, yeah. But yeah, it's a wonderful kit. Absolutely I, wonderful. I, I love it. I agree. I mean, we, that, this one lasts for two years, by the way, which at the time was kind of the club policy. They'd introduce a new kit and at least they'd stick it around for a couple of years. Um, we also have a new away kit this year. Whether I don't think it's that new, really. I think the only... Because it's the kind of the yellow one that we had the last season with the little blue flashings and the slightly different coloured blue flashings. But uh, the main change is, of course, it's got auto glass on the front. Am I, am I right, Mark? Is it is it a di completely different kit or is it just a, a, a reversion with the with the auto glass on it? Uh, I thought it was just the same kit yeah. um, with a different sponsor on it. Uh, and I think you know it's it's a memorable kit from the previous season. But in terms of the home kit, I'm very much with JK. You know, I do remember the controversy. You know, we, we play in raw blue. That's Chelsea's colours. Yeah. And this was a very, very light blue. But it was amazingly popular, as I recall. You know, long before, actually, it symbolises a trophy-winning season. Because yeah. they had the launch of the Megastore at the same time. The Megastore opened. So they had this big fanfare. And I think Frank LeBeouf um, on a sort of Quadrophenia-type motorcycle with Dennis Wise and Di Matteo launching the megastore with the selling of this kit so you know just on the back of the megastore opening I, I remember at the time it's i think it sold probably one of our best sellers you know for many many years yeah. it makes oh. sense yeah. and it just Chidge, by way of talking about autoglass it was then reflected also in the advertising around the ground there was a huge autoglass presence and also something very interesting from this year which i hadn't uh, noticed before is that there is advertising all over the east stand which um uh, Amitié was one of them, which was a, a, an insurance, I think, uh, Amitié or something that was there, and and, um, and lots of and autoglass, obviously, um, and um, uh, Ladbrokes, and uh, it's sub in subsequent years the the, the advertising has been taken away, and it's got the banners around it. We just have banners around the ground, but um, it was just interesting to see how specific they were. Obviously, trying to make as much money as possible. He always wanted to make money, Bates. He was a he wasn't a, a mug about these things, and um, so they became a very prominent advertising. Uh, the ground very prominent advertising sources particularly for the cameras he was very adept at putting something up for the cameras and no doubt saying it's in shot actually you know owe me another ten thousand pounds because that's the kind of thing that Bates did all the time so. mm, he did indeed well you know I think we all talked about the, the yellow kit last time and how much we liked it um, I mean I, Dane as you're the only one wearing the shirt I mean uh, you, you've got quite a collection of shirts so where does this one rank in your collection not as high, actually. Uh, I, I this is the first time I've probably pulled it out in 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 uh, probably about fifteen years. Uh, like 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 J.K. and, and Mark said, I, I at the time I didn't like how light it was. I've always been a, a big fan of the uh, of the darker royal blue of Chelsea. Uh, 
I, I associate it with with Viali uh, for some reason. He's the one player that first comes to mind when when I put it on. And uh, yeah, I, I, at the time, you know, as I said, I was late teens, just coming into my early twenties. So you know, I was I was still still buying shirts. I wasn't wearing them to games. Uh, not that, that there's a problem with that, but I, I was just naturally, you know, you just get into that habit of buying the home shirt. So that's what I did with this one. But it wouldn't be in my top ten. Mm, okay. Well. Um... It is, as we said, I think I think a lot of people now look back very, very fondly on it. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, the kind of players that wore it and uh, the trophies that we won as well. So there's no surprise there. And of course, you know, by now, of course, that we partnered with 3retro.com on our 50 Years of Chelsea series. Uh, and they do have a superb collection of Chelsea retro gear, including, I do believe, both of these shirts, the home one and the away one. So you can get pick up one of those. And uh, they're offering 10% off when you use the three retro 10 code. And if you order over 50 quid worth of merch, you get free UK delivery. And if you go to our Twitter and Facebook post, when I post about this show, you'll find the link to three retro there. So there you go. Now, uh, again, we we normally always start uh, the review of the year by looking at who's come in and who's come out. And I have to say, this was a fascinating year uh, for transfers. Uh, First of all, just to say who we got rid of, um, <clears throat> and this all happened pretty much towards the end of the season, uh, the end of the previous season. Erlen Jonsson transferred to Rosenberg for free. Jakob Kjellberg retired. Uh, Paul Parker, one of the strangest signings in Chelsea's illustrious history, in my opinion. He was released. We're not sure to where or to whom. He just was let go. Wander off down there, Paul, and never come back, I think we said. Uh, and Scott Minto, which was a bit of a bummer. I quite like Scott. He went to Benfica for free. Craig Burley, he went to Celtic for two and a half million. It's a lot of money for Burley. Uh, and Froda Grodas, Froda uh, he basically went in the uh, winter uh, transfer window. He went to Spurs, believe it or not, for two hundred and fifty grand. But of much more interest is who came in. So I'll just run through that very quickly, and then the boys and I can chat about it. But we bought uh, Ed Dehoy from Feyenoord, the keeper for two two million two fifty. Uh, Bernard Lambord came from Bordeaux for one and a half million. Gus Poyer, who had tormented us playing for Real Zaragoza, uh, well, he came in on a free, and I forgot he'd come on a free. I mean, that was great business. Uh, Torre Andre Flo, another great bit of business. He came from Brand Bergen for 300 grand. Uh, and then there were a few, uh, th- th- a few youth additions, uh, and Stephen Hampshire. Nicholas Crittenden and some some bloke um, called uh, John Terry, apparently. Ooh. Yeah, I can't. I don't know. Never heard of him. Anyway, they all they all basically uh, got promoted from the youth, and finally, uh, to the delight of many of us, certainly me, uh, Graham Lasso returned to the club from Blackburn, and uh, we paid seven million for Soxie. I think that might might explain Scott Minto going. It would, um, wouldn't it? Yeah. And much as I love Scott Minto, I kind of love Graham Lasso more. No comparison. Yeah, absolutely. Great player. But Great a, player. I mean, brilliant transfer window. You think who we yeah. got in? I mean, because you know, you know. I mean, in those days, particularly, and of course, historically for Chelsea, our, our transfer windows are all a bit hit and miss. But actually, I mean, Ed Dehoy, Gus Poyet, and I know. Okay, you know, at the time, this is before he kissed the cock when he went to Spurs. So <laughs> it's okay to talk about him glowingly. But Ed Dehoy, Gus Poyet, and Tor- Tor- Andre Flo, and Soxy all were brilliant for us for a number of years after that. So I have to say that's a cracking transfer window, JK. A oh, wonderful transfer window. Uh, loved them all. Every single one of you mentioned was was a, a brilliant addition to the squad and um, made them into 
top, top competition and a top, top club. And uh, I will wonder immediately where on earth Bates got the money from. Um, but uh, once again, I think we were, we're down the world of vice presidents. And wh when was it, Mark, that he got the bond? When did he get the 15? Much later. Bond? December. Much later. Yeah, December. Yeah. December. December coming up. But nonetheless, he's, they're obviously making this decision. And oh, you needed a, uh, a top goalkeeper because uh, Karin um, was never quite there with it. And Hitchy came, Hitchcock came in and did, was always decent. But we're talking about the team having gone up much more into a top four side. Um, and competing at, at European level, uh, and this um, this was a great statement of intent. He's a decent keeper, De Hoy. And I was slightly perturbed to remember, of course, that Karim played a lot of games this season. You could see the difference between the two. I always thought Karim was always was scratching his head whenever the ball went into the net from distance, you know, and trying to blame somebody. You looked at him and thought, "Is you know, just you haven't really." leapt far enough old Dimitri um, which is a shame because you think he'd be good at that being Russian but uh, the terrible stereotype I just went into I think you know on, talk, <laughs> talking about talking about Ed De Hoy I mean Mark, Mark might remember this but you know given given that Rude Hullet was Dutch given that Rude Hullet had pretty close links with Feyenoord he must have had some inside knowledge about Ed De Hoy oh, yeah. what do you think Mark? I suspect so I think De Hoy was definitely a Rude Hullet signing um Lambord was a bit of a surprise. I think he was a bit of an un unknown quantity. Poirier, we knew from the Cup Winners' Cup run. So I think Poirier of the four was probably the most significant in the first part of the window. Uh, I'm not sure the show actually came in for Scott Minto. I think Babiaro came in for Scott Minto because we got Babiaro at the back end yeah. of the season and Minto went on a free transfer because I think he got a Bosman. So I think he got um, a, a pay increase to go to Benfica. But yeah. I think... The beauty about the so was he added something extra to the squad. Yeah, he was an England international. We were bringing back into the side. Bloody expensive, seven million. Bearing in mind what Dave Webb sold him for, but you know, the so also at times could play almost like a wing back and left a midfield. He seemed to play more of a wing back, didn't he, Mark? As the definitely, season went definitely. on, that was his role. He was. Yeah. He was. Uh, it was interesting to see what tactic, what structure. Hullet was attempting to do. I didn't under, quite understand what Viali was trying to do when he became manager, but I definitely had an idea of what um, of what Hullet was trying to do at the beginning, which seemed to be quite advanced in comparison with very similar to what we've been doing recently. Interesting. Did they play three at the back? They didn't. So they must have played two with the two wing backs. I'm a bit confused as the setup, but it always seemed to be um, Leboeuf was was always instrumental and in playing huge long balls down the front. That appeared to be a, a major tactic, which they had the speed and the 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 ability to get on the end of, as well as being very decent players. But I mean, what better decent passes of the ball? But we're, we're just, I just found the whole process, the number of players that were used, really interesting in the season because um, we still had a, a large number who ended up playing and in spite of these here. And when did Chave come in? Was it the same time? Did he get... Chave um... came in in January. January. In the January transfer window. He came on loan from, I think, Cannes. I think the other thing about the Lasso transfer as well, he only joined on the 8th of August, which was a day before the season started. So that was a really late transfer deal we did with Lasso. Yeah. What was the was the transfer did the transfer window shut before the first game of the season then in those days? I can't remember. I can't either. But I mean your point about Lasso is is fascinating because you're right. I mean we bought him at the at the peak of his powers. He was quite a regular for England in those days. And I mean, it was around that time he scored that goal against Brazil, wasn't it? I think, but yep. uh, you know, he was he was a he was a he was one of the best players of his type in the country at the time. So we had to play top dora for him. But 
It's also fascinating, isn't it? Because we 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 talk today in 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 in, in you know recent times, a number of times we've let a let a promising young player go and we've ended up having to buy them back for a lot of money later. I mean, I know Lukaku is the obvious uh, example there. Matic, Matic as well. Matic, but there have been many others, haven't there? But I mean, you know, so this was happening to Chelsea long before the likes of Matic and Lukaku. But Soxie, as we all know, uh, ended up playing for Chelsea for another six seasons because he left, didn't he, the same day as Zola when, uh, when Abramovich came in. Yeah, you yeah. went to Southampton. So that was six years. So there we go. So it was money well spent in my book. Uh, now, Dane, I've I've ignored you totally during this. But what was your view on the transfers that season? I, was, I mean, how old how old were you by now? Uh, uh, in this season, I was nineteen, coming on yeah. twenty. Uh, so late teens, early twenties. Yeah, I was a due to my uh, USA background. I was quite a student of the game. I was always like scurrying around trying to watch late night videos to find. Uh, certain US players was playing in Europe, so I picked up pretty good knowledge of 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 other players, and I knew about Poirier, obviously from playing against us uh, a couple of seasons, but season before was it a couple of seasons or seasons before? But I knew he, had, you know, he had he had a good reputation in Spain, uh, you know, a bit of a bite, a bit of a loud uh, live wire, but like to goal. Uh, Graham Lasso, yeah, Bergerac was. Uh, I, I I think I said on on the previous show, I think he was ahead of his time. He was a very attacking play would fitted in really well nowadays who could really defend as well he was a great defender could put a, a beaut of a ball in so i was really happy with us buying him back after i think we sold him what, for seven hundred fifty thousand plus steve livingston coming in yeah. shocking shocking uh, yeah it wasn't great bernard lombard yeah another like utility player could play Right back, centre midfield, centre back, defensive midfielder, lacking in a bit of pace, but he was, he he was okay. Flow didn't, didn't play much, much, did he? In the end, didn't play no, much. No, he James. didn't start. I think his debut might have been Liverpool away, which we'll get on to. I'm sure that was his. Then he gets sent off. I his, think he, he did. Well, we'll 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 figure that out in a minute because we will get there. Um, but before we do that, uh, Mark's usually got about five hundred anecdotes about his <laughs> his his jollies in pre-season, but I have to say. His notes were very sparse, so I'm wondering, I'm wondering if maybe he went on holiday with his family or something. I don't know what what happened, Mark. Well, well, well done, Chid. That's exactly what I did. Because <laughs> um, uh, I think I mentioned on the ninety six seven, I became a father for the first time. So my, my daughter would have been less than a year old. So I think what we did is, um, and I mentioned the charity shield because I was at the charity shield. Then we went on holiday after the charity shield. So I missed the Coventry game and I, I get back and I miss Barnsley and I get back for the Wimbledon game because we were away on holiday. Yeah. So I only went to the Charity Shield. What a waste of time that was. Well, I, I, you yeah, know, you, I say, say something about the Charity Shield when we get to the Charity Shield. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're going to now. We're going to now. So okay, can I just say the expectation with everyone was was huge for the season. Absolutely enormous. And the Charity Shield, which I would never go to normally and I haven't been to since, I don't think. Had, had an enormous needle about it playing United. And the fact that we lost on penalties was unbelievably disappointing. And you, you look back now and you think, why did I care about that? It was only the charity shield. And yet, because we were the, the, um, the new kids on the block, as it were, um, there was a lot of resentment. You could see that we were a force again. And uh, um, the United supporters didn't like it. And no, no, nobody liked it at all because there we were again in their faces and uh, looking as if we were going to do something good in the season. As we all thought, we all thought, I thought we would win it. I thought we would win the league. Well, there's a surprise. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's unfair. That's unfair. Because every more, season he I, says I, this. Every no, season he says no, this. No, I didn't. I've never said that. I never said that in the seventies. I never said that. Well, before. okay, apart from the seventies. Yeah, I'll in this, and the eighties, because we were in the second division. That's true. But in this in in this in this instance in particular, my hopes were enormous, as were everybody else's. So the the, the charity shield was hugely competed in a way that it isn't nowadays. And in a way we just go, oh, I can't be bothered to go to that. It's just a friendly. And I think actually it's deteriorated that way as well. There was, as I say, a great deal of needle. And the very fact that it ended 1-1 on pens, they still, they still, the gleeful responses, the Man United fans afterwards, you know, um, you know, we beat you, ah, ah, you know, even our fantasy, they, they, they loved it. And so did Ferguson. Ferguson loved winning as well. Not that he always loved winning, but he put one over on the upstarts. We were upstarts at the beginning of the season and we started off very, very well and looked as if the upstarts could be in a position to actually win something and then faded away as the season went well, on. Except we won two trophies. Yeah, we, exactly. Well, look, I mean, that's a really good point you made, JK, because I I, I mean, we're getting to the... I mean, I, I, I was still exiled very much, uh, excuse me, in Winchester having... Uh, been married not that long, so I was I was very well. I don't think I, I very rarely there, but um, I, I was I was you know still massively into it, and I I remember exactly what you were saying, the buzz about Chelsea, and the interesting thing about, I mean you know because basically uh, Man United and and Arsenal had really been sewing things up, haven't they, for the last few years since Wenger's yeah. arrival, so they were the big two, and. Uh, and and yes, we were seen as upstarts. But I think the really interesting thing about Chelsea in this period, particularly when Hullet came in, was that I mean I, I know it's a it's an absolute uh, anathema to any of us for any I mean you know no serious football fan has a second team unless it's the youth team, uh, but a lot of kind of football supporters who are not like us would have second teams, and uh, we were we were very much the neutrals' favourite, and everybody else's other you know favourite other team. Because of Hullet, because of the players we had, because of the kind of football we had. So whilst you're right that United and uh, and Arsenal hated us, and Liverpool, I think that's that's when their kind of vitriol about us started because we were knocking them off their perch to a degree. Um, but a lot of the other supporters were like, oh, yeah, no, Chelsea are all right. They're great to watch. They got rude. They loved Zola, didn't they? They loved Zola, yeah. So you know, I know what you mean. We were upstarts, but the the old the old firm hated us. But I think actually we were a well liked club at the time, which, as we all know, certainly not least by doing this fifty years series, is hardly ever been the case in our history. So it's quite unusual, really. Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I thought I think it was. Uh, um, I'm not I'm not quite sure of that though, Chidge. I think I think people liked what we were trying to do and liked the fact that Hullet was involved. And I think, as you say, there were fans of specific players because Hullet was such a wonderful player and Zola was a wonderful player. But I still think there was an element of resentment that here we were again. Yeah, yeah, by the, United and, we and no, Arsenal. Not only, but I just in the... I just uh, asked, not only that, Spurs fans as yeah, well. Spurs fans... Ha- Spurs, well. OK. Spurs, West Ham... Right, OK. Arsenal and yeah. United, obviously, because they yeah. were the top dogs. Uh, you know, Spurs because they hate us. West Ham because they hate us. Liverpool because... They were aware that we were going to, you know, yeah, they, they like them. being top dogs, supposedly. exactly. Yeah, so, so, so that's only five. I don't think you can really find many others who would have had that view. 
I don't know. Perhaps we should do a poll. Everton, <laughs> Everton, Everton nearly get relegated this year, so they had other shit to deal with. So the Spurs, actually. Don't yes, they? I know. I, I, I remember that from the review, actually, how, how hilarious it was that they were fighting. But they had that idiot Christian Gross, didn't they? I yes. have here in my hand, I have a tube ticket, <laughs> and I have arrived here on the tube. And you can fuck off back there, said all the Spurs fans. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we should move on. Mark, you, you do have some interesting notes about the charity shield. I mean, just for the record... Uh, Hughes opened the scoring for us and uh, Erlen Jonsson equalised for them. Then it went to uh, penalties, didn't it? And uh, we, we got humped 4-2 on the penalties. But Erlen Jonsson? Don't you mean uh, I don't Ronnie. mean Erlen Jonsson. Ronnie Jonsson, Freudian yeah. slip. Yeah, one one um, Jonsson's much the same as any other Jonsson, apparently. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> I, I think the other, a few other things I'd say about the charity shield. Yeah, JK was right. You know, it certainly caught the imagination, especially with the Chelsea fans. I think we sold out our allocation and then took more. But this was the biggest charity shield attendance for 10 years at Wembley. So it begins to have lost its appeal. And then we come back, Chelsea are back, and it's 70-odd, 73,000 crowd. You know, so certainly, you know, Chelsea fans were there um, by their numbers. Um, the other thing is um, a young lad called David Beckham was playing. Who? For Man- Who's he? Yeah. And he was dating some girl by the name. Oh, God. What was Old Spice. Old Spice. That was <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Posh Spice. Yeah. So they just started dating. So they were sort of going. He'd gone from the back pages to the front pages. And clearly the naughty old Chelsea fans were singing some rather inappropriate songs about about Mr. Beckham and some of his sexual practices. Show, I, show. Rem- I remember. I remember the song, Mark, very fondly. Actually, he takes it up the old Kent Road. That was simple. Because <laughs> wasn't he a sub? Wasn't he a sub? He was. And that's it. Because he was warming up. Yeah, yeah, and that's when we was all singing it. Yeah. 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 He, uh, fever. He was grinning though. He was looking and smiling and grinning. <laughs> well, it's probably because she. Te- she probably. She, she probably did take it up the. You know what? Up the Arsenal. I think it's the expression, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think the other thing I'd say about the charity shield as well, um, you know, obviously bloody annoying we lost on penalties, uh, and we talked about Frank a lot, and I've got a real soft spot for Frank Sinclair, but I thought it was a strange choice Frank taking a penalty um, when you when you look who was who was there on sort of like the finishing eleven, um, and who didn't take a penalty. Obviously, it never got to the fifth penalty, which I presume would have been Dennis Wise, you know, but Viali. Poye, Petrescu, they didn't take a penalty. And, and Frank, maybe he was brave enough to take it, but it wasn't a particularly good penalty by Frank, and that cost us the game. You're, you're absolutely right, Mark, because, I mean, uh, of the, I mean, you know, Zola you would expect to take a penalty. Leboeuf was our penalty taker. Obviously, they both uh, they both scored. But you're right. You've got, uh, who was who was actually on the pitch at the time? Viali, you would have expected him to take one. Poye does take penalties for us later in the season. Um, Dennis Wise, uh, you know, he's a regular penalty taker for us. Uh, Di Matteo did take one, but he missed. So, yeah, it's kind of a bit weird. I can't really explain that. Dane, you got any explanation for that one? No. <laughs> no? JK? Nah. Nah, there we go. Well, we'll, <laughs> we'll just leave that there then, shall we? And actually get and, on. And the final... All final I can imagine is I can imagine Frank saying, I'll take it. I'll come and yeah. take it. Yeah, I'll take it. I'd love to take it. I'll take one. Because yeah. he had that air about him all the time, Frank. You know, He's like, confident, yeah. 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 Bloody awful penalty. Yeah, um, misplaced confidence. I misplaced confidence. The, the other bit of trivia, and I couldn't find it today and I was looking for it. If, if my memory is right, if you've got the Charity Shield programme at home and you skim through it, you'll find an interview with me in there. 
Wow. I'm sure oh, in the, I, I, I'm I sure in the 1997 that. Charity Shield programme, but I can't find my copy. I was looking for it today. Okay. You want to explain why you were interviewed in that? Uh, well, because um, at the time, I'd just finished being editor of the Chelsea Independent Fanzine. And during my three years, you build up a sort of like a notebook of sort of good contacts. And then you get contacted by various press and media. So I think the people producing the programme had my contact details and they said, would you like to come along to Wembley, Mark, and sort of have your photo taken up the 39 steps? So I said, yeah, why not? And then, then they did a little piece with me as well. And I think I said Chelsea would win. Mm. Well, of course you did. Wouldn't expect anything less. Right, OK. Well, the season kicked off proper on uh, the 9th of August, 1997. We go up to uh, Coventry and uh, a bit of a... Road. Yeah, I mean, a bit of a weird game, really. I mean, Frank, just talking about Frank, he puts us 1-0 uh, up uh, only for Dion. Oh, by the way, the, the interesting thing about that, uh, people, was that, uh, as, as we've all seen, having watched the review recently, Frank scored a, a great goal, actually, has to be said. And then in his skull celebration drops his shorts and then kind of does that like you know what it's like when you do a three-legged race it's like hard yeah he, he looks like he's doing a, 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 a three-legged race with two legs with his shorts around his ankles very weird um, i will give anybody here bonus points if they know why he did that celebration oh. not a clue i know he got yeah, a fine for it, for it though. <laughs> he did get a fine yeah. yeah i mean i don't know either and i'm really pissed off because we've interviewed i've interviewed frank and you would have thought I would have actually asked him that question, and I didn't. He does a comedy walk with it, so I wonder whether he was trying to be Max Wall or somebody, or uh, somebody come comic of the era. He just thought that it would make people laugh, or perhaps he had a bet with somebody. I don't know. It was very well, cute. Frank is on Twitter. I suggest somebody tweets him and says, Frank, why did you drop your shorts in that goal celebration against Coventry in the first match of the 1997-8 season? Anyway, I'll leave that to you. Uh, we then go to... It's, I mean, the bottom line... I just say I was there. You were there. Yeah, I yeah, was. Yeah, as well. Unbelievable enthusiasm to watch our team um, beat everybody because I predicted they would, as usual, and um, uh, and it was such a disappointment as a consequence. Yet we didn't play badly that game, um, and Flo scored. But Leboeuf had a complete nightmare. Yeah, you wonder whether he was fit or not. Yeah, and I, so one of the problems with Leboeuf, who could be um, for those who never saw him play. Um, could be absolutely magnificent and boss it and play beautiful 50-yard balls to feet and score from from uh, um, 35 yards. And on occasions, he would play, though, as if you'd, he'd never, he gave the impression he'd never played centre-half in his life before. And he'd be out of position, pass the ball back badly, do skimmed headers, miss the ball completely. And this was one of those occasions. And he gave he gave the goal away, gave the third goal away. Well, and Dublin yeah. Dublin scored a hat trick. I mean, obviously, yeah. uh, the other encouraging thing was that Tori Andre Flo uh, came on and uh, he came on for Mark Hughes and he scored three minutes after he came on for his on, on his debut, um, on his league debut. When he, Mark, um, I found out the reason why. No. Frank, yes, the reason why Frank Sinclair dropped his shorts uh, it was to celebrate the birth of his daughter Sherelle, who'd just been born. Okay. Don't ask me why he drops his shorts. I'm, 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 I'm slightly worried about the potential symbolism in that move, but yes, uh, yes. Hmm. Well, yeah, there were some of the other things he could have done. He could have, you know, got done the done the yeah the, the baby thing and all put his thumb in his mouth or something and yeah and uh, but to drop his shorts. <laughs> yeah, I, you got to love Frank for that. Um, all right, so we didn't get off to the, the start we wanted, which must have upset both uh, J.K. and you, Dane. You, do you remember much about the day? 
Uh, it's one of my many trips to Highfield Road. I, I didn't think I've, yeah, I think we lost on on all three occasions. I've been there uh, even two seasons. Even uh, we play them um, at home, uh, sorry, away the first game of the season, a couple of seasons later when we got Kasaragi and I think this time we lose 2 1 that day as well. So, yeah, so it, it wasn't a great. I actually thought we actually played quite well. And uh, and then, like like JK said, there was a couple of mistakes in defence. And that, if you look, when, when I noticed when looking for our review, uh, lots of mistakes in our defence uh, led to uh, goals scored against us. So it was like a, the start of what, what we was going to see through the rest of the season. There's only a couple of teams who really opened us up with great play, but a lot of bad positioning, a lot of mistakes, a lot of flick-ons led to uh, other players always scoring against us. Absolutely right. Well, we we do put it right when we go to Barnsley away uh, in the next match. Who, who We know Mark wasn't there. Were either of you two there? No, I wasn't there. Okay, well, you missed a treat. Actually, the interesting thing about this, I mean, we, we win 6-0. Uh, Petrescu, uh, Poye, and then four from Viali. Four from Viali. Love that. I think possibly, I could be wrong, but the first person, Chelsea player to score four goals since Kerry Dixon did against, uh, guess who? Gillingham. Was it? City. I thought it was City. Gillingham. I thought it was, I thought it was Barnsley. In Barnsley, a, Barnsley. Yeah, Barnsley. I know that's, that's my point. Yeah. I've often told you, Mark, that's one of my favourite games, the, the, yes. that one. 5-3, five, yeah. five, wasn't it? 5-3, five, five, and he gets the perfect hat-trick. He does, yeah. that's right. But anyway, so Viali gets four. But the interesting thing, talking of uh, the fact that Jonathan and you and Dane didn't go, was that according to the commentary by Martin Tyler, uh, Chelsea didn't sell our full allocation of tickets for that game. I can't think why that was, apart from the fact that Barnsley's a bit of a shithole, perhaps, but I'm surprised. But they missed a treat, didn't they? Completely and utterly, and I think that may have entered into my calculations, actually. What, the Barnsley's yeah. a shithole? Yes. Viali <laughs> yes. um, um, scored a, an unbelievably typical Viali goal. Yeah, didn't he just? Pichescu pass. All over the top. All over the top. Watches it round the side. Yeah, watches it, and he just gets... And so many, so many people could t- should be observing this kind of striker's behaviour. It's the same with Hughes. The ball is there, it just... You just thwack it at the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper is is uncanny ability to get it in just beside the post as well, Viali, um, which puts so much pressure on the goalie. He doesn't see it coming, and it's that. And so many times, you know, we keep complaining about now they take an extra touch. It's that moment where the goalkeeper isn't prepared for it that puts them so. Um, well, that's under- the point, isn't it? If you hit it early, they don't have yeah. time to set. And that's exactly. what great strikers do. I mean, on, on, on a related point, JK, it's, it's just interesting watching the review again, as we, we've all done this week. And we, we said this, I think, the, the, the last couple of shows on, on uh, 50 years that we've done. But the, the quality of the goals, I mean, shots from long range, banging in, Petrescu particularly, not Petrescu, De Matteo particularly. Yeah. You, as you said, Hughes doing overhead volleys and the like. Headers, even Zola scoring headers. The crossing was fantastic, but the the goals that they scored this season, I mean, the quality of them was just a joy to behold. It really, so really was. So many aided by Dan Petrescu, who was an absolutely yeah. class act. He Complete, was. brilliant, brilliant player for the whole of the season. He it's, was. It's, and anybody looking at the uh, uh, the review, you won't you won't really be able to appreciate. You'll just see some brilliant balls played played into areas for players to run onto. But his overall view of the game and his ability to judge a pass was superb. It was indeed. Now, um, we then go to uh, to Wimbledon, or down to Selhurst Park, in fact. And, uh, Mark, you're, you're a huge fan of uh, Thornton Heath, aren't you? 
I am. I am. Uh, well, the strange thing about this game was well, like the group we used to go with, um, and we obviously talked about Matthew Harding on the 96-7 show, and um, we used to meet Matthew in the Railway Telegraph whenever Chelsea played Crystal Palace or Wimbledon. So it's a bit, bit of a sentimental journey going back. I think it's the first chance most of us had got to go back to Sellers Park since Matthew had passed away. So we met in the Railway Telegraph at Thornton. You know, it's very near Thornton Tube Station, if people know that part of London. And there was this really strange thing they did. And I know chances of the Exchequer, you know, put pints up, but... The landlord was charging two pound and a penny for a pint. You know, illogical because that means you get ninety nine pence worth of change. You know, unless you had a spare penny on you. Um, so why not just charge two pound? Rather, rather strange. But in, in terms of the game, uh, what I remember about this is Di Matteo scored an absolutely brilliant goal that almost mirrored the goal he got against Wimbledon at the start of the previous season. Uh, and a goal celebration, which was then repeated by different players during the course of the season, yes. which seems to involve in like you know like a shoe shoe shining sort of type goal, you know where they all sort of link arms and sort of like the player puts his boot up who scored the goal, you know, yeah. And Di Matteo was the first one to do it during that season. Doesn't the player who scored the goal have a very pleased look on his face and points at the foot, That's it. Yeah. holding it up? Yeah, yeah, I scored. Yes, look yes, at me. With yeah. this. I always thought it was initially because Petrescu was scoring with his left foot. I'm sorry, with his right foot and not his left because he was essentially left-footed. So he was saying, look, I've scored with the other foot. Look, look, look. But as you say, it seemed to be quite a um, uh, an infectious thing, thing is that regularly other, other players who'd scored would similarly hold their feet up to be worshipped worship by the team it was uh it was fun to say the least so. it was indeed um well i mean funnily enough it gets repeated in the next match i mean we beat we beat wimbledon 2 nil. matt Matteo and uh petrescu uh and then we then we have our first weirdly having had three away games we have our first uh home game of the season and there was a very good reason for that was because chelsea was still trying to finish off uh the shed end because as you do recall we're in the middle of rebuilding uh, the whole ground. They finished the Matthew Harding end. Um, uh, I think it was uh, the, the season before. Uh, last it was last season, and uh, this this year the shed end gets completed. And uh, as a result of it not quite being ready, we had three away games. So our first home game is uh, Southampton at home, which is quite a cracking game. I'm presuming you were all there. I mean, Mark would have been certainly, and I'm oh, sure, yes. I'm sure oh, the others yes. were too. Yes. So okay, well let's 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 hear from Dane first. I mean, it's it was a cracking game, but Petrescu opened up the scoring on seven minutes and does the polishing the boot celebration like uh, Di Matteo did the match before. Yeah, he was like like J.K. said, he was he was a great player, and it, it's a shame if there's any you know, people who eventually listen to this and, and wonder what Petrescu was like or Di Matteo, for example. Petrescu was 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 an amazing player. Could obviously play right back, right midfield, could easily centre this centre back, uh, sorry, centre midfield. He was so comfortable on the ball. Uh, and uh, I remember this game, Ken Moncow score, he come back to haunt us, didn't he? he scored late on. Uh, Kevin Davies scored one of his many goals against us this season. He was always uh, a bit of a threat towards us. I always found out our defenders struggled with that, you know, the typical, stereotypical uh, British forward who would like, you know, rough them up and bully them. Especially I remember when, when Davies was playing for Bolton in the in the net well what what would become known as the, the uh the twenty first century. Is it the yeah, am I right? 
Yeah. Anyway, um, he had that reputation. He would foul people for fun. I remember we absolutely hated him when he played for Bolton because he was just, he was all elbows, all elbows. And I kind of almost... A bit like Hughes, to be fair. But no, much worse, because I think Davis did it with intent. Mind you, so did Hughesy, so I do get your point. (laughs) But, you know, horrible player. But actually, Dane, you know, Ed DeHoy gifted him that goal. Yeah, yeah. trying to play it out from the back. It's a lot faster. In his early days, Kieran Davies had a big reputation. Everyone thought he was going to go and do bigger and better things, and he had a lot more speed and a lot more pace on him. Uh, Yeah, and it was, it was, uh, you was right. It was the, it was the first time you know the shed had opened, and it was a really good atmosphere. And obviously, I remember sitting in there and just thinking, oh, looking obviously to the West End, and obviously that was the next one that was uh, soon to be, soon to be sorted out. Uh, Yeah, it was, it was, it was a great game. It was a there's something else that come when I, I, it'll come back to me when I watched a review yesterday. I remembered there was something about it as well. Maybe I did. Is that the game I met? Is that the day I met Moncow afterwards and spoke to him because he, he had such nice words still to say about us? He was. I've met him quite a few times over the years. Ken Moncow, really nice, really nice man. And I think I, uh, I spoke to him afterwards and he said it was nice to come back and he didn't know whether to celebrate or not. But because there was four two down, it was more about trying to get the ball and look like there was going to come a comeback, but it was still quite late on. Well, indeed. Well, the interesting thing, of course, is that Sinclair got sent off on 78 minutes. I mean, it was a real ding-dong of a game. I mean, we we went 1-0 up, uh, thanks to Petrescu, as we know. Then then Kevin Davies equalised for Southampton. Then LeBeouf scored. Then Hughes scored. And then Y scored. So, as, as Dame was saying, we're 4-1 up. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Moncow gets a, a goal in 59 minutes and Frank Sinclair gets sent off. I can't for the life of me remember why, Mark. Can you remember? Probably for dropping his shorts again. <laughs> like, <laughs> retrospectively, I can understand that. I mean, no, inter- I, I can't remember. I, I think the other th- other thing to sort of say about Ken Moncow, didn't he, when he finished playing, open a pancake house back home in Holland? I, I'd yeah. like to think yeah. so. Yeah, mm. I think he did, didn't he? It was either yeah. waffles or pancakes, yeah. It was waffles or pancakes. Or something. I, I, exactly, yeah. Did, he, think- call, did he call it a schmoke and a pancake? <laughs> <laughs> a beer and a bong. <laughs> I think the other thing about that game, obviously the capacity had increased, so we're now up to 32,000. And we've talked about this many times. Um, we never really had a season ticket culture at Chelsea. Uh, and the season ticket numbers, maybe on the back of the ground growing and the cup final win, let from 6,000 to 15,000. So this is beginning to see you know, the growth of Chelsea's season ticket support from this season onwards. Yeah, it's an interesting point actually because in Chris Wright's by the way people if you if you've been listening to um our 50 year series from about 94 onwards then you really need to get yourself a great book uh, by Chris Wright the lovely Chris Wright who writes for CFC UK amongst other things uh, and it's called Blue Days and it basically it covers this entire period and the reason I I mention it is obviously to plug Chris's book because it's a great book and he's a lovely bloke uh but actually he mentions Mark that uh that that was the season that his family, his dad and his brothers, they got see, and a group of friends, they got eight season tickets, kind of sat next to each other, which tells you that, that you know the culture at the time was that we didn't have seat because actually we didn't need to. You just wanted you know pay the money, walk in. You know that was that simple. J.K. Yeah, it was also interesting that they started building the hotels behind the yeah. uh, the the shed end as well. Um, the Bates Motel. Yeah, so it was all there were all these skeletons around, and there was uh, semi seating in the in the uh, the demolished bit of the West Stand. But it was exciting times because you knew what was coming. You knew you were looking forward as a spectator. You were looking forward to seeing the um, 
um, you know what it what, what what the West Ham would look like. What the what you wanted to create Fortress Chelsea. You wanted to be have a ground where the uh, the pitch was right. The pitch was next to the stands, and the um, as you were so used in my youth to watching with the Greyhound track with the uh, with Bates using the whole the whole place in front of the shed as a car park, and then so to actually have the ground being on top of everything and and as I say, state of the art at the time because the the, the they look great. The two ends look great. And you knew the West Ham was going to look great. Was was it really exciting? So seeing the shell of the ground in front of you was bizarrely, even though it wasn't finished, you just what you enjoyed going there every few, few games to see the progress that had been made with the with the club. It was um it was uh, it was it was brilliant to have be able to watch this evolution of the club, um, thinking, well, the club, the team's getting better and the ground is getting better. We're really in for a great future here. Yeah. I kind of loved the West End. Uh, when it was being built this season, you know, because you're right, it was kind of temporary racked seating, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah. and to the side of it, uh, the shed end side, it was like a building site. But I loved it because, you know, it was quite, there was quite, you know, it was quite steep. There were quite a lot of seats there. And it kind of reminded me of the days before we actually had that, the old, the old West Stand, you know, when it had that, we had that huge bank, if you remember, a bit yeah, like yeah. places like Hamden Park, you know, yeah, it and was. it used to seem to go on forever. That was when you had the crowds of 75,000. And they were just one of those days. Remember seeing Man United there? Um, I think it must have been a sixty thousand crowd, and uh, it was just the, all the faces that people just went on forever. It was actually it was a wonderful experience. But I was about eight at the time, yeah. so it was quite difficult. But I, I love that without the roof. I don't know. There's something quite appealing about that. Obviously, not when it pisses down with rain, though. Yeah. Clearly not. Now uh, we finished September in fourth, so we've actually had a pretty good start. Um, and uh, I have to say, without without uh, kind of ruining the story. Um, we're we're pretty much consistently in the top five all season, which kind of does give a lot of credence to JK's claim earlier on that we are on the up and uh, we are challenging the hegemony of uh, United and Arsenal. Uh, Anyway, September starts off, we beat Palace 3-0 away, Hughes, LeBeuf, penalty and Lesseau. Lesseau's goal, by the way. Uh, Who was there? Hands up, who was there? Mark, Mark got it up by a Nat cock, JK, sorry. Mark, Lasso's goal was an absolute screamer, wasn't it, against Palace? And it wasn't just Lasso's goal, which, as you say, was a screamer. Hughes goal. Hughes goal as well. Yeah. Brilliant. Pass. Brilliant goal. What a, what a player. Yeah. What a player. Yeah. Brilliant. Sorry, Mark, I infused over your remarks there. I do apologise. <laughs> You're nudging me. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever heard it called that, but there we go. Anyway, so we, we, we demolished Palace fairly, fairly perfunctorily. I mean, they end up getting relegated, so no real surprise about that. Uh, and that means our next match is at home to Slovan Bratislava, which is the first round of the European Cup Winners' Cup, which, of course, we are in by virtue of winning the FA Cup uh, the season before. Um, and again, you know, fairly perfunctory. Uh, Di Matteo scores on six minutes. And uh, dear old Danny Granville, who the commentator delighted in the fact that we'd bought from Cambridge, Cambridge. therefore bucking our trend of buying Galacticos from uh, big continental clubs. But dear old Danny Granville, score. he ended up going to Leeds, didn't he? I think. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. He was a good it was player. supposed to be a double deal. We was uh, interested in Micah Hyde. I think it was Mika Hyde who was there at the same time. And they were the two ones with a big reputation. And uh, last minute, I think we pulled out on Micah and uh, just ended up getting Danny Granville. Yeah, interesting. I mean, but interestingly enough, that both Danny Granville and Paul Hughes were playing uh, that night, which I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, you know, they're decent players, fair enough. But uh, I'm kind of surprised in a way uh, for, for a European uh, competition. But nevertheless, 
fairly uh, routine win then. And then we get Arsenal at home, which again, I mean, as I mentioned this in the intro, didn't I? I, I remember this match so vividly. Um, remember at the time, boys, that, that Arsenal absolutely have the wood on us. We cannot mm. beat those bastards for love nor money. And we're right in the middle of that. This is a, this is the kind of... The, really, I think, you know, Wenger's been in charge of Arsenal for a couple of years now. And they are, they're, they're beginning to really become a very decent side. I mean, they've got, they've got David Seaman in goals, the England keeper, Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, Patrick Vieira, Steve Bold, Tony Adams, Ian Wright, Dennis Burkamp, Mark Overmars, Ray Parler and uh, Emmanuel Petit. Nicola Anelka's yeah. around there as well. This is a very, very good Arsenal side. Um, and it's very hard. We, we, we very rarely beat them. But, I, you know, around this time, I'm thinking, like you probably are, it's about bloody time we do, you know, because I've had enough of it. And uh, what happens? Well, we play them at home, and uh, Gus Poyer puts us in the lead on 40 minutes. Happy days. Annoyingly, Dennis Bergkamp then equalises on 40 minutes. Even more annoyingly... Bergkamp uh, scores again on 59, so it's 2-1. And then Franco Zola scores on 60, which is uh, hope has been restored. And then and then Frank LeBeuf gets sent off. As I recall, for a second yellow, I don't think he did anything too nefarious. He just got booked for a second time, and that's he had to go. And uh, who would like to uh, talk about what happened in the last minute of this game? <sighs> JK? Well, unfortunately... Um, a rather very uh, a, 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 a fullback who shouldn't actually have been anywhere near the goal um, from Arsenal happened to wander uh, towards the penalty area <laughs> and uh, unleashed a fucking screamer into the top right hand corner of the goal and uh, and I remember thinking at the time as I'm thinking even when I watched the, the the review back ye gods why did no one close him down probably because they never thought that he would be able to do such a thing but it was so typical it's what you expect it's the same like Carnu scoring in the last minute sort of curling it round De Hoy. well Silvino did it, it. Silvino mm. did it many years later an almost indeed. identical goal didn't he indeed indeed so there was a kind of dreadful inevitability because we thought oh at least we've got rid of that uh, that albatross around our neck of losing to them and uh, lo and behold last minute whap into the top right hand corner you're, ah. you're right mate it, ah. it, it was so typical of the time I can't tell you how irate and gutted and deflated I was I've hated I've hated Winterburn ever since and, <laughs> and I have to say that uh, and I, I can't remember the timeline of this I suspect it was probably before then but um, it, I mean if it was before before this goal that uh, Paolo Di Canio... Remember when Paolo Di Canio got sent off for pushing the idiot ref and he fell over, right? Sheffield Wednesday. Sorry, Sheffield Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. when he was playing for Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Winterburn runs up to uh, Di Canio to try and face him down and be the big hard man. And Di Canio turns on him and turns around to him and Winterburn totally pussies out. You know, he he visibly shrinks and Mm. runs away. And and I and I and I I, was, I really wished that Decanio decked him. I can't remember if it was before. I'm sure it was before this this uh, this season. But if it wasn't, it doesn't matter because either way, I win on that. And I hate Winterburn, and it's all because of that goal. <laughs> to um, be fair to me, he couldn't believe that he'd scored. I couldn't believe he scored. No, no, no. None of us could. None of no, us could. Couldn't. Mark, there was there was a lot of other stuff going on in this, haven't there? Um, you know, I mean, you mentioned that, and I, of course I would have forgotten this, but it's the, it was the one Sky home league game of that season, which seems remarkable now, doesn't it? When you think, you know, now how often we are on TV, and 
maybe that's because you know we still were seen as Chelsea. You know, we weren't you know in the TV company's eyes the big draw that we are now. But that was our only home league game on Sky that season. We're we're on um, away a lot, but not at home, which is really strange. I think the the other thing as well is that was our first home defeat in twenty games. And it had to be bloody Arsenal mm. again. It was just so annoying. And obviously, we're beginning to see the early signs of, you know, despite wearing glasses, the inability of Wenger to see properly. Because <laughs> um, although Leberth yeah, went, and yeah, he was unlucky. It was two yellows, no, nothing malicious. You know, Ray Parler does this kick at the during the game, you know, which in any other occasion would be a straight red. Uh, and obviously, the referee misses it. And obviously, when the press boys ask Wenger afterwards, you know, yeah, he was more interested why Dennis Wise, you know, wasn't sent off and said, you know, psychologists, I think they call it deflection. They do indeed. Uh, <laughs> many times over the years with Mr. Wenger. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. Uh, although although Wise did two foot Vieira, so <laughs> you can't argue with that. No, no, nothing, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but that's okay. That was allowed in those days. Um, anyway, can, I, lo- can I just ask a question? Though, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I've got confused exactly what we had. We had a large number of reserves who all seemed to be quite competent, but we seemed to have a a first team that we could, you know, you and I could choose. And yet Hullet didn't seem to want to play that first team. He'd lose. He'd leave the odd player out. And you thought, why is he selected? him instead you know I don't quite know why Granville sneaked in and then Lasso didn't appear to be playing Clark doesn't seem to feature at all in these matches yeah. um, uh, despite being um, ultimately at the end of the season uh, um, Viali's first choice when Morris is as well in it Morris is still present he doesn't get a look in in these early games Myers sneaks in and out and I, I, were there a whole series of injuries or was it Hullet trying to experiment. Hullet himself doesn't play and then appears as a substitute. Or I find the selection process very peculiar when, for me, the best side obviously featured Lasso, Flo. I mean, Flo, by the way, for anybody who doesn't know about Flo, Flo had a fantastic ability on the wing, like telescopic legs. He was, he, he would, he, his speed, he would look up, he was all looking up and then he, you'd think, is he going to beat the fullback? And he would beat the fullback with ease and put in, and he not even necessarily put in a great cross. He would dribble to the byline and then beat another player and, and, and score fantastically in the corners. And that was one of the things about the, a very tall man, a brilliant goal scorer. So we had, we had all these very competent people, Hughes, playing out of his skin. Mark Hughes scores some absolutely brilliant goals and yet doesn't consistently get in the team. And then Viali is in and out. And did he have a relationship with Hullet that was basically peculiar? Was it a peculiar relationship? They wasn't wasn't talking. They wasn't talking. talking. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I, he was, they wasn't talking from, from the previous season. They had no relationship. It was as, as professional as it could be, but they wasn't talking. I'm, I'm sure they he almost signed for Glasgow Rangers in that summer, Viali. And you can almost tell when we go back a few games when he scored those wonderful four goals at Barnsley, he almost looked like, okay, yeah, you know, he, he it was only, uh, I think he started to accept the role he had under Rude uh, a lot more further games in because he, he seemed to enjoy his goals more. But earlier on, you can see he's still pissed off from the, previous year it, it was definitely a hangover from the previous year jk if you remember i can't remember the game for the life of me but um dennis wise scored luca was on the bench and wisey had that t-shirt underneath yes, which is yes, scrawled, yes. cheer up luca we, we love, love you it. yeah so there was clearly stuff going on wasn't there mark
fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Yeah, um, Hullet does rotate a lot as the season wears on, and I don't think it rotates necessarily, JK says, for the better. And I think when he was asked at the time, he actually defends the policy. And what he actually said was, you know, I, I know people, press particularly, find it hard to understand that the rotation system works. No one can play 40 league games in a season anymore and stay as fit as they need to be if you want to win trophies. I know that I can't keep my players happy all the time. It's impossible. But they are only unhappy players, you know, when they're not playing. You know, once they're back in the team again, they're happy. You know, at most other clubs, the unhappy players stay unhappy for weeks and months because they're not playing at all. And strangely, and Dane's absolutely right, the tension between Hullet and Viali. And I think this is why Viali sort of like earned a lot of kudos at Chelsea. He never, ever slagged Hullet off. Never did. He behaved like a gentleman the whole time. So they asked Viali, because this is the press. You know, and Viali basically, you know, who suffered more than anyone at Hullet's rotation. You know, and he basically said, we're all friends and no one moans about the situation. The most important thing is that Chelsea win. Yeah, that's very good. Very, very good. Um, we, I mean, if you've just lost at home to Arsenal in the last minute from a bloody Nigel Winterburn goal, what's the one thing you don't want? I know. Let's go to Old Trafford for the next game. So basically you're playing the two best teams in the league uh, one week after the other. Um, but actually we get a good result. I mean, uh, Berg, Henning Berg gets an own goal on 25 minutes. Scholes uh, equalises on 36. Uh, Mark Hughes scores uh, on 68 minutes. And then bloody Oli Gunnar Solskjaer equalises on 86 it was Bernard Lambour's debut as well but the interesting thing is and I don't know if you pick this up or what was going on or remember it from the time I I, I think um, Hullet gets sent off he's obviously the manager yeah he did because of the offside yeah because his first goal was miles offside and I remember at the time I was there, I remember thinking he absolutely looks miles offside and um, Ollie's goal yeah um, no the uh, the the first goal, Scholes's goal. goal. Yeah, when he came, it was Cole. Cole was offside yeah. when the ball came. The ball was kicked, and he was he was. So that's why all the players went over to the to the linesman, and Hullet put his arm around the linesman and said something, and the referee wouldn't have that, and so sent him off. And he then sat with uh, with the rest of the. There were some other players who weren't involved in the match at all. I think Viali was one of them, and he sat with him up in the in the stands. So uh, it was uh, really annoying because that was a game they would have won otherwise without any shadow of a doubt. It was a very good performance. I'm sorry to harp on about this again, but we, if we, we had to, if 26 players who ended up playing all season and um, like Eddie Newton suddenly thrust his, his way back into the side later on with the Viali and, um, uh, uh, and Paul, as did Paul Hughes, who was there, um, as did, um, uh, um, who else did we have? And I didn't understand why he didn't play Flo, Di Matteo, um, uh, I mean, Steve Clark didn't play at all early on. Well, why, um, why he didn't play his best team? You mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, well try he, to play. He, I know he makes this thing about rotating, but try to keep the the core of his best team, whereas we don't really know what the the best team was in the end. You've got Zola, Wise, great players, Petrescu, well, great, great player. Ma- maybe Burf, they should sack him, out. J.K. 
And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, funny you should say that. Yeah, perhaps they should. Yeah, but he got sacked for other reasons. Well, in, I, well, I, yeah. Why. Well, we'll. Well, tell you what. We'll, we'll let's. We'll get there. We will we'll get, get there because uh, Mark I, probably knows why, and I know. Why. I, I, I don't think I'll be able to nudge Mark. Well, but I, I, I know why. Though. I think I think there's a lot more to it than that. But we will we'll definitely talk about that at the appropriate time. Look, we wrap up. Uh, no, uh, we wrap up uh, September with a one nil home win against Newcastle. And uh, we finish uh, the month, guess what, in fourth position. Um, there was something else that happened in, in September for those of us who are Chelsea youth uh, aficionados. Mark, what happened? Well, yeah, in September, um, Chelsea youth team played Orient in the Southern Junior Floodlit Cup. And the manager of the youth team at the time was a guy called Ted Dale. And he decides to move um, one of his squad who was playing him in field at that time and try him out in defence. Um, and he said afterwards that this young man looked like he'd played there all his life. Yeah, that player was John Terry. Well, well, well. And the rest, they say, is history. John Terry was a midfield yeah, player. I knew that. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't know it was Ted Dale. When I read your notes, I thought it said Ted Drake for a minute. I thought it was going mad. Exhumed. Somebody exhumed well, him. Would have, they would have had to, wouldn't they? <laughs> but there we go. I mean, how, that, I mean, that actually is is interesting. That that was the moment that that Terry moved from midfield to defence. I didn't know that, so it's good knowledge, Mark. Um, right, we're now getting into October, and we have the away leg of the European Cup Winners' Cup first round match against Slovan Slovan Bratislava. Um, Viali opens the scoring on twenty seven minutes, um, and. Uh, and there's a there's a thing about that which I'll let Mark tell you in a minute. And Dimatteo wraps it up on sixty again, pretty pretty routine win. It was also Celestine Babiaro's debut. I loved Babiaro. One Baba two Baba three Baba that one. You remember that song? Whoa, Babiaro! What a great song! I, I know some great songs. Creative I mean, song, fantastic. Yeah. One, As was the the Ed Dehoy one. Ed Dehoy, Ed I love that that era of that. Um, what I loved also about the about the British was that um, um, what's his name Pierce um, is uh, the uh, Jonathan the, Pierce. Yeah, yeah, oh. the, yeah. The, the who at that period Mental. was 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 trying to create a, a, a personality that was different from everybody else. So We've everything was like now. that all the time, like that. And in this is yeah. when Matteo goes scores. He goes. Like that, and you thought yeah. he's trying to copy that bloke from you know the foreign bloke just to get some kind of kudos, and he was he was trying to become really a top commentator. That's known for a fact, but it was this constant behaviour like that all the time was absolutely tedious. You just wanted somebody to tell you what was going on, you know. So. Well, the the other thing actually talking of commentators, I'm damn sure some of the the home matches that Spy was commentating on a lot of them, Neil Barnett and. I was in because I, mean, I, I know Neil's voice and it sounds very much like like Spy. But the interesting thing about his commentary style was that it was very it was very Hugh Johns, which I thought was interesting because Hugh oh, Johns happens to be one of my my favourite favourite commentators of all time. But I thought Neil Neil's modelled his style here. I'll have to ask him this when I see him next. Did you model your commentary style on Hugh Johns, Neil? Because if you did, fair play to you. Um, <laughs> Now, it's, uh, you know, as I said, what what happened with Viali's goal then, Mark? Tell everybody what happened. I think it came off his arse. It came it? off his arse. There we go. It did indeed. I don't think it actually came off his arse. It was a peculiar goal, though, because the goalkeeper kicked it. He was turning his back and it hit him kind of on the hip or on the side. But it, the, it ricocheted 
in off the underside of the bar. And, of course, Pierce goes, oh, there's no Russian linesman, but it's OK. It's still a goal. Yes, you know? yes, yes, he did. Stupid it's a bit bird. similar to Paul Furlong's goal as well. Yes, when, yes. You know, yeah. In the semi-final against Zaragoza, I think, after we'd lost the first leg. Very yeah. good. Um, now, uh, I know Mark was out there and he's going to he's gonna tell us all about his trip in a minute. But, uh, Dane, were you at this one or did you have to suffer Channel 5? No, the, the only away trip I made all season was the last game of the season. Well, that was the one to make, mate. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, JK, were you uh, watching Channel 5? Uh, I did watch Channel 5, yeah. yeah. Good, OK. Mark's going to tell us the instructions that we were given to find Channel 5, which, by the way, had only recently launched. And, it, and its big ticket was to go and get the coverage of uh, the European Cup Winners' Cup, largely because Chelsea were in it. And it was actually really interesting listening to their commentary because they became very... Uh, I mean, it was always we. They referred to Chelsea as we. They they kind of rallied around the English club in this competition because basically Ch- Chelsea were, were bankrolling uh, Channel 5 to an extent because that's how they were getting viewers. But Mark, tell us about your trip out there because I know it was quite a good one. Uh, well, at this time, um, I was working for the Chelsea magazine. So always one of the things, the best thing, you know, one of the jobs you can have is someone to pay you to go and watch football. So they were kind enough to ask that I want to go to Bratislava and it would be an all expenses paid trip, um, which really wasn't because, you know, if you spent £10 in Bratislava, you would be lucky, shall we say, even if you tried to drink the place dry. Um, when was the club? Um, £250 flight, really good trip. Um, beer was really cheap, 50p a pint. Um, I think some of the more well-known faces at Chelsea all hooked up in the Forum Hotel, which was like the five-star hotel in town. Uh, and that was the most expensive place for a beer. And that was £2 a pint. Um, <laughs> when, when you think, you know, the Berlin Wall coming down was only sort of like seven years earlier. Uh, and, and Bratislava, you know, very much probably still seen as sort of like a, an Eastern European country. So still a lot of poverty there. And this really amazing sight of all the home fans were trying to sell things to the Chelsea fans. So they had badges, they had scarves, they had caps. Um, and also one of them had a copy of the programme that he was trying to sell to me for £2. Uh, it was free, by the way. <laughs> the entrepreneurial spirit um, of the, the locals. So I beat him down to 50p. So I thought that, that was quite a bargain. Um, uh, and... It was a really sort of like an amazing sort of event that happened at halftime because it was wet, it was cold. And obviously, um, we were winning through Viali's goal. Uh, and again, if people listen to the show and have been going to Chelsea for years, they might know a guy, and this is the first time I came across him, called Charlie Driver. Now, Charlie has got hero status, which I'll, I'll come to in, in a minute. But during the halftime interval, and I think it must have been the 12-inch remix version, if you think the halftime interval, how long it's on for... Uh, is now more famous for the Will Griggs song, but they played a song called Free From Desire by um, a band called Gala. Now, Charlie, bless him, gets up on the crash barrier, strips off his shirt, and he dances to Free From Desire with the whole of the Chelsea fan at that the chorus bit going, na, 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 na. Uh, and it was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen at a football match. Yeah. Now, Charlie's claim to fame um, was, and people will remember this, um, when we played Fulham at Villa Park um, a few years later in the FA Cup semi-final. A Sunday. Um, on the Sunday. And I can't remember, um, Chich, who was Fulham's manager at the time? Was it Tigana? John Tigana. 
what's mm. it going on? And uh, one or two bits of celery um, were thrown at Mr. Degana. Um, and regrettably, um, Charlie and a number of Chelsea fans were, were arrested and charged for doing so. Um, so, you know, he actually, uh, you know, I think he was found guilty of throwing celery, but he um, was told by Ken Bates, Ken wouldn't take his season ticket off him and he wouldn't take his season ticket of any other fan that was convicted. It was a ridiculous thing to char charge people for. And then the other strange thing about Charlie, and I mentioned him on a couple of games during the course of this European trip, um, he, he knows Mr. Worrell very well. Um, and Mr. Worrell and him have um, a remarkable thing in common. You know, um, not only were they born um, on the same day, in the same year, they were born at the same time. Ooh, they do, are do, 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 do. the same age. No way. Yes way. Mr. Worrell, uh, he WhatsApp me and told me, because um, I think there's a, a, a trip to Porto in 2007 where Marco meets Abramovich. I think he wrote about it um, uh, in Overland and Sea, maybe, or, or one of his books. And he's there with Charlie. Charlie's there with him. I think Charlie still goes now. Yeah. Uh, oh, Charlie will get a couple of mentions as, as we get into this evening. Does he look like Marco? Um, I think Charlie, yeah, he, he's he's probably got a little bit more hair than Marco, but he's got a shaved head, as I remember, Charlie. Yeah, oh, same thing then, yeah. There we yeah. go. But they are exactly the same age, on, down to the minute. On a related point, although I, I do believe we should probably wait until the 2001-2 season to talk about this, uh, and I have some excellent anecdotes about, about that particular game um, uh, against Fulham in, in the semi-final, but... Uh, as I, I WhatsApp Mark to say to him the other night that uh, Dr. Mark, we drove to Chiswick to meet up with Claire, who drove us up to Birmingham. But we stopped off in Fulham Palace Road on the way and we literally bought a grocer's complete stock of celery on the way. So we just had we just had masses of celery and I had a whole inside jacket full of celery and I was I was actually sitting at the front, they've kind of got a middle tier at Villa Park in that stand, uh, which is the same side as the manager's dugout is. And I was pretty much, I, I can't remember, I was kind of in the middle of that stand. It was, put it this way, it was it, it was within throwing distance of Tigana. And I spent a lot of the match when everybody was throwing celery, chucking pieces, and I swear to God I got him. I swear to God I hit him with a stick of celery. So having heard Mark's story, I, I'm now, you know, completely full of guilt thinking that people like charlie took the rap for me you know because i'm bloody i swear i i got him i swear i got him the, the other the other weird thing for me on that particular night and it's quite topical when you're talking about throwing things after what happened in budapest last night mm. um when i was in primary school the kid that used to sit next to me at primary school was a guy called eddie keogh now if you know your football photography and if you google eddie keogh You'll, you'll see, yeah, he's a well-known sports photographer. And I hadn't seen Eddie since primary school. And he was actually in Bratislava that night taking photos for the sun. Yeah, and he literally was in front of me. And we're looking at each other and we hadn't seen each other for like, you know, oh, 30 years since we were kids get primary school. Now, if you see today's pictures, and if you look at Eddie on Twitter, just go Eddie Keel on Twitter, Eddie was in Budapest last night and he takes the photo of Raheem Sterling when he scores. And then, you know, the cans and the bottle start flying. 
Uh, and he ends up, Eddie, with a, a rather large beer shampoo, he, he tweeted today. But that was my spooky moment. I, I saw a classmate from school I hadn't seen in 30 years out in Bratislava. How about that? Um, and just to wrap that up, uh, Colin Hutchinson's programme notes uh, did give us instructions on how to uh, get Channel 5 on our TV. Uh, because as I recall, a lot of people uh, didn't have the right aerial for Channel 5. So a lot of us were denied it. And there was a lot of coat hanger uh, kind of action going on. But apparently all you had to do was to select the fifth button on your TV and search for the Channel 5 signal and then store that signal in your TV. Thanks, Colin. That's really helpful. How would we have survived without you? Um, anyway, um, those of you who are, are aware of the, the precise date and time, which is... Uh, uh, the 3rd of September 2021, we'll know that our last uh, match was away at Anfield, uh, a place where uh, we often uh, incur the injustice of appalling refereeing. So what a surprise when we go there in uh, uh, October 1997 uh, to find that um, there is nothing new in football, Mark, is there? How rare a referee spoils a good game at Anfield. Who, who'd have thought it? Um, and the referee on this particular day in 1997? David Ellery. Taylor, Mr Ellery. Yep. Um, it was a good start. Yeah, I went up to Anfield. Uh, Liverpool take the lead. Um, Patrick Berger, who had a good game against us the previous year. Yeah. You know, we, we get back in the game. Ellery sends Lambord off. You know, don't know why. Uh, we end up losing 4-2. You know, Ellery managed to give us a penalty with a couple of minutes to go and Poye scores. But to be honest, it was all, all over and done by then. But the interesting thing about this is like uh, normally when we went to Anfield, we usually probably went um, to either the Tower Hotel or we'd often go to the Arkles at Liverpool. Um, one of my friends had looked in the Good Beer Guide and he recommended a pub called the Georgian Dragon. It's in a, a village not far out of Merseyside called Great Budworth. And we went in there before the game, um, and I, I recommend the Sunday Road. It was very nice. Um, um, but who did we meet in there? We met the newly elected, because bearing in mind there'd just been a general election uh, in 1997 uh, and Blair became prime minister, the newly elected MP for Tatton. And he was the ex-BBC journalist, Martin Bell. Yeah, And we had a pint with Martin. And yes, Martin was wearing his white suit <laughs> in the pub that day before. <laughs> Brilliant. But, That's... You know, here's, here's your quiz question. Okay. Who did Martin Bell replace as MP for Tatton and why? Well, uh, Christine and I remember her name. Yes, <laughs> N- Neil. Oh, Go on. I, I can't remember their second name, but he basically was a Hamilton. crook. Hamilton. Well done. He, was, he, took a, he took a bung in a brown envelope, didn't he? Well, we couldn't possibly say that. On allegedly, allegedly, and it and it wasn't, and it was from George Graham. <laughs> and well done. And your second question, because um, Martin Bell, to his credit, said he would only stand for one term of office because yeah. he was going on, as you say, on an anti-sleaze ticket. Who replaced Martin Bell as the MP for Tatton? Oh, I don't know. I've no idea. No idea. He's a Chelsea supporter, allegedly. Oh, um. Um, uh, um, Mr. Gove, no, no, not not Peter Haynes, no, not Tony Banks, no. Then I'm 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 stuck. Is he Tory or, or Labour? Tory, Tory. Yeah, not David Mallet. He was Putney. 
He's Patney, yeah. No, I'm I'm done. I'm out of. Out of... He, he was in Munich in 2012. Oh, not George Osborne. Yes, indeed. Oh. Well done. Well, there we go. Who's the MP now? Yeah. Who's the MP now? Yep. I don't know. Who is the MP now? Esther McVeigh. Esther McVeigh. That witch. Christ, I had no idea. Um, all right. Um, talking... What are you doing? Allegedly, Chidge. Well, allegedly she's a witch? Or <laughs> yes. allegedly she's the MP for T- for Tatton? Uh, no, she's the, the, the latter. No, the former. Allegedly. She's definitely a witch. Oh, OK. Sorry. Got that. Sue me. Um, anyway, she, actually, she will. Allegedly. <laughs> Can I just say, going back to the football... Hullet came on for after Lambord yeah. was off, but who went off in the shuffle? Zola, did he go off? I can't. Remember. I can tell you that if you'd bear with me one secondo. Bearing, I'm bearing. Yeah, Zola. 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 Yeah, we were um, we were taken to the cleaners in the second half by then, but we only the difference is we only had ten players, but we didn't have the sort of side who would enjoy playing only with ten players and prevent Liverpool from playing, as happened the other day. Indeed. Well, it's a very interesting parallel, isn't it? I mean, Dane, yeah. well, I mean, we, we've been bitching about uh, Patrick Berger, who, who did the same to us, I think, last season. I mean, can you remember? I mean, how did you feel about, about that game? Massive sense of injustice? It was funny, obviously, you mentioning a couple of games ago, Arsenal, you know, and what I remembered from these games against Arsenal, Maynard, Liverpool, was how many players really freaking annoyed me. And if you go for the Liverpool team of McAteer, McManaman, Fowler, Redknapp, Carragher, Murphy, add that to the Arsenal, like like you said, Dixon, Winterburn, Keon, Bald, Adams, Wright, Petit, Parler. I mean, go to United with the Neville brothers, Beckham, Butt, Sheringham, King, Giggs. There were so many annoying players. And, I always picked that up. And when we obviously played Liverpool, I remember us playing with a high line uh, and we'd already been caught a few times in behind and Lambord, yeah, someone, it, it was it was deemed as a professional foul in, in, in those days. They were starting to really bring that in. It was a bit harsh on him because uh, I know you said he started in the cup against May United, but I'm pretty sure this was his first game in the league. Uh, yeah, but the line was too high, like like a lot of times this season, and and we did get taken to the cleaners. It was because I remember when Zola scored, I think that was deemed they was moaning that was offside. But I I went into there with a lot of faith, and I thought you know because I'd been a couple of years before when we beat them two one when Vinnie Jones scored, and uh, I I didn't go to this game, but I did have a lot of faith that we was I I really fancied us that day, but no, they they did do a, a number on us. They did indeed, and uh, they were actually below us in the table at the time, so a tad disappointing. Um, to wrap up, uh, uh, well, I'm not going to wrap up October because there's still quite a long way to go, but the next two games, basically we start uh, our campaign in the uh, what was then the Coca-Cola Cup, uh, the League Cup, of course. Uh, and we, 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 I mean, this is an interesting thing. I remember this pattern the other season, but we, we, we struggled to, to get past uh, Blackburn Rovers at home. It was 1-1 um, after extra time. Uh, and then we won on penalties. Uh, so we, we, we were actually quite decent at taking penalties in those days, unless it was the charity shield. Uh, Viali got sent off in extra time uh, for taking retribution out on somebody, but it didn't show it in the... Honcho. Uh, Honcho. It, it was Honcho. I didn't see what, what the off-the-ball incident was, sadly, and I don't no, remember didn't. it. Um, the next... It was interesting, just very quickly, Chidge. He, he played... Hullet played, uh, um, I think, as we're going to experience this season within the... Uh, Carabao Cup. He played a completely reserved side. Well, he did. I've got it here, actually. I mean, it's Kevin Hitchcock, Celestine Babiaro, Hullet himself played, but David Lee came on for him on 46 minutes. Frank LeBeuf, Steve Clark, Luca, Mark Hughes, replaced by Stephen Hampshire on 61. 
Robbie DeMatteo, Danny Granville, Mark Nichols, Eddie Newton, replaced by Frank Sinclair on 79. So you could say out of the starting 11, Hitchcock, arguably uh, Babayaro, Hullet, Clark, uh, Danny Granville and Mark Nichols and Eddie Newton were not what I would call, what you would yeah. call first teamers, I think. So I think yeah, that's... Mark a... Nichols in particular. But it's interesting that clearly Hullet wasn't taking the um, the League Cup very seriously. Um, in the way that ultimately um, uh, uh, um, Viali did. And also the consequence was, of course, that there was hardly anybody in the ground. The East Stand was practically empty. Was it really? Yeah, I mean, the the, uh, the attendance was 18,671. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there we go. I noticed that the uh, the referee was Keith Burge, who's from Tony Pandy in Wales, and uh, a very dear friend of mine who I love to pieces, who is actually from Merthyr, which is very close to it, always used to say to me, I'm not I'm gonna try and do a Welsh accent, but it won't be very good, so don't 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 judge me. But she used to say, Chidge, Chidge, you've got more faces than the pandy clock. And apparently it has four faces, so uh, I'll leave you to judge why she said that. But anyway, um the next match is Leicester at home. Uh, we win that one one nil with a Le Boeuf goal on 88 minutes. And, the... just say, and you're, going to, you're going to go over it, aren't you, very quickly, because the Le Boeuf goal, we were completely all over them for the whole of the game. Mm. And I have never forgotten yeah. this goal by Le Boeuf. It's one of the Chelsea goals will be forever with me because he scored from about 35 yards, mm. an enormous screamer into the right-hand corner. I lost it in the sun. And uh, Oh, did you? Yeah. But it was a great moment because we were, I mean, they were a decent snide, Leicester, we should have been winning and it was so frustrating nil 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 but then suddenly this absolutely brilliant goal from Le Berth that I will all never forget it was just absolutely astonishing drive from I'm almost you know it just absolutely superb I'll never forget it JK because I had him first goal scorer that day no, I did you well, good. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're right you're right about Leicester JK they were a decent side then under Martin O'Neill uh, and in fact they I mean the week before when we lost to Liverpool they were uh they were ahead of us and Liverpool on the table, and uh, after this game, they were below us. Uh, but that meant they were in, they were in fifth, I think, and we, we were in fourth. So yeah, they were they were a decent side, and they also had the wonderfully named Peggy Arfexad in goal, if you remember him. Yeah, good old Peg. He's quite he's quite a quiz question for many. Anyway, the reason I was rushing a bit, J.K., was not because I'm worried about time, because I've always I, I you know since since we've signed Mark as our superstar. Striker, I've resigned myself to playing extra time penalties and then extra time again when we do those shows. So I'm not worried about that. It's just that I'm excited to talk about the next match, which is one of my favourite matches of all time. If only I had been there. It's one of those matches I regret hugely not being at. And of course, it is uh, when uh, we went to uh, above the Arctic Circle to play Tromso in the European Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, now, many years ago, and you know what? I can't remember what podcast number it was, but... I do remember we had uh, uh, Psycho Phil, my old mate Phil, who's a great mate of Neil Smith's, uh, Mark, as well as all the other Norman boys, to to tell us all about their experience of Tromso away. And it's really interesting, Mark, because there are elements of your story that are, match exactly their, their stories as well. Um, I mean, I'm going to let... Mark's written us some great notes about it, but so I'm going to let him explain the game, and then you two boys, you chip in whenever you like, all right? Uh, I'm with you, Chidge. Um, and I thought I'd miss this game perhaps because of work. And a, a mate of mine said to me the other week, no, we were down to go with Prime Events, who we did a lot of our European trips with down the years, and a guy called Mike Ross. 
and our trip got cancelled at the last minute. Possibility of some skullduggery that maybe there were tickets and then the tickets weren't available. I don't think that's anything to do with Mike Ross, you know, whether that has to do with a former club chairman, who knows, but we'll talk about a repeat event later in the season when we talk about Vicenza. But I think this is one of the European games of all time. You know, only 300 Chelsea fans went. I know a few people that went and absolutely gutting to miss that. You know, they're in the Arctic Circle, the snow, you know, there was fighting with the home fans, but of the snowball variety, not the 50 <laughs> variety. Uh, and apparently Bates got pelters after the game. I think Martin Wickham said this the other week as well, because um, Channel 5 did a documentary before the game because uh, it was the one-year anniversary of Matthew Harding's death. Uh, and Bates made a number of derogatory comments about Matthew Harding, um, and that all filtered all the way out to Norway. And I think a few Chelsea fans took a bit of retrospe- retrospective action by throwing some snowballs at Bates. Uh, one of the stories I heard, and God rest his soul, he's passed away now, but obviously the legend that was Ron Hocking. I think one of the stories I'd heard is wh- whatever the group he went with and i don't know they were staying in a log cabin or something like that mm. I, think they, I think they got separated uh, or maybe they went to the pub and ron didn't because i don't think ron, ron drank but he didn't have a key for their accommodation you know uh, and obviously the temperature you know after the game dropped and dropped and dropped below freezing so ron took shelter i think in a phone box to try and keep warm but i think nearly froze to death before his mates came back from the pub and I, think, I think the other memorable thing about this, if you've seen the photos from Tromso, uh, it was the Chelsea fans behind the goal with their shirts off. Um, <laughs> punky Al's there. So I know one of them is definitely Punky Al. There's a guy called Pete Bromley, who is a mate of Marco's. He's a tour guide. For, I can't remember who the third person is. Might be Steve Toombs. I might be wrong in that. Yeah. But yeah, the three of them with their shirts off, absolutely remarkable. You know, and, and apparently, and I wasn't at the game, but apparently Charlie Driver had his shirt off as well. <laughs> Bless him. And I think he was doing free from desire again. Um, but my mate who went, he said it was like back then, £4.50 a pint. Back then it was four fifty. So God knows what it cost for a pint in Tromso now. And the local beer they were in drinking. Norway, it was, it's something unbelievable. I had a bottle of wine there, um, a bottle of wine, glass of wine. I'm talking about um, when I worked there, uh, I did a series called Norseman there. I was in an episode and uh, it, was, um, it was something like 20 quid. Yeah, yeah. So it probably it probably be that. Now. The local yeah. beer they were they were drinking was spelt Mac M A C K, but pronounced by the locals as Muck. So <laughs> you ask for a pint of Muck, please. <laughs> and, and apparently, I said, "What did you have to eat?" He said, "Whale meat and reindeer." <laughs> Nothing for the vegetarians. Brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. And when I went there, you could have that as a. You could ask. It was on the platter. I tried it. I remember it's quite tasty. Actually. Yeah, I was going to say, what's it like? Yeah. yeah. I remember a weird story that that Phil and the boys told me about because I think not all of the boys went. I think I think Phil might have gone with one or two of them and not all three, and and I do remember that uh, they came back with this kind of chocolate bar, this special chocolate bar that they were given out there or something. I can't remember the the hows yeah. or the whys. Everyone got a chocolate bar. That's, that's right. right. That's right. And why did they get a chocolate bar? Do you remember that? I think it was a local a gift from the local police. I think that's right. Road. That's yeah. right. And anyway, Phil loved this. He thought this was a great souvenir, so he kept it in the fridge, hoping to keep it as a as a bit of memorabilia for years to come. And I think his wife came downstairs once and ate it. He was really pissed off. <laughs> They're no longer married. I'll I'll just leave that there. Um, as as for the match itself, uh, Dane and J.K. I mean, I I was uh, 
you know, I had now figured out how to tune into Channel Five, so I was wrapped by this match, and I and I've never seen anything quite like it—a match being played in the kind of conditions that that we were seeing. And I and I and I didn't know whether to be laughing or just to be really annoyed and irritated because Hullet clearly wanted the game called off because I mean it started it, it looked frozen but the pitch was, was fine it was yeah, frozen the pitch was, was the pitch was green yeah. and, and they then it did came down and chucked chucked the snow just kind of yeah, absolutely and it blizzard really really settled settled in in you know there was but it was about, a blizzard JK it was a blizzard yeah, it was like a foot what I love was their efforts to keep the lines visible yes. there was a, there were various people with brushes who appeared um, frenetically going along and then it's second they'd be completely covered up again that was somehow trying to keep the game on because i think i was told that they it could never have replayed it because by the thursday it would have been you know um eight foot of snow everywhere and and the the, the season had completely changed it would have been uh, they had to play it that night but there was this terrible feeling watching it that somehow we were going to lose and then in the return leg um uh, they would maintain their standard, but you know uh, we were to discover later on that they weren't very good. They were just aided by the conditions, and also our goalkeeper De Hoy being um, incapable of dealing with them in the slightest. Ball kept sliding under him. Um, but the the player, of course, who revealed his brilliant expertise was Viali, who was like a kind of um, um, snowplow. He just danced over the over the surface, sending people around him slithering hither and thither. And, and did what the Viali had all the time, I keep going on about these strikers, was not only did he take the ball early, he had that wonderful strikers thing of, of we top strikers thing, of of hitting the ball, um, even, I tell you what, Gerd Muller had this as well, um, who died recently, um, wherever angle he was, he would toe-poke the ball in, because the angle was such that he'd go, oh, there's the ball, I'll just give it a quick flick towards the goal, constantly taking people by surprise. So you'd have, you'd think, Oh, he can't get to that. And he would, he'd get there first and just tip it with his toe and it would go over the line because it was the speed of everything happening, taking everybody by surprise. And he does it exactly in this game. And um, and we score, don't we, to make it uh, get one back, to make it 2-1. They score immediately, another De Hoy error. And, uh, and then he goes out the air and scores again yeah. um, to make it 3-2. And we were thinking, phew, we're in with the chance. Not appreciating, of course, that in you play in normal conditions. As I say, they're not a very good yeah, side. Was a, it was a great equaliser, as it often is. I mean, Dane, the interesting thing about that, I mean, because my... I mean, I loved Viali. I totally loved Viali. He's, he's always been one of my favourite Chelsea players. Uh, and I was just so pumped to see him do what he did. But... The other, the other weird feeling I came away with, and I'm, I, I'm no word of a lie, if only I put a bet on it, but I, I came away after that match, oddly, thinking, we're going to win this cup, actually. I, I don't know mm. why, I just suddenly thought, this is so insane, and I just love what, I just, just thought, I just thought I had that feeling. I mean, I don't know how you felt about it, watching it on good old Channel 5. Well, I remember that, obviously, a bit immature, I remember there was a forecast of it, of it to snow, so... In the, when 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 the game started and it hadn't snowed yet, I was a bit disappointed, you know, a bit youthfulness coming out. And I remember when it started snowing, I'm sure that uh, Rude Hullet, Rude Hullet uh, broke his toe by kicking, because he was constantly arguing with the fourth official, and he kicked something which was covered in snow and something hard under there. And I'm sure he broke his toe. I'd love to Google right. that and, right. and find. And I just remembered... Yeah, it was a it was a accumulation of funny things. I remember Dennis Wise fouling a, a player and throwing a snowball at him, and then the player like reacting a little bit angrily, but then laughing. Uh, yeah, again, I I I just hoped that we stayed in the game. 
again that that youthful side of me you know nowadays I don't care who scores for Chelsea but in those days you know when a striker scores there's just something special about it and like you Viali I've always classed as my second favourite transfer signing after Hullet. Uh, so when he scored, it was it was it was it was always something more special. He didn't miss a lot of chances, Viali, and like J.K. said, he just had this ability to to finish. Uh, he's such a sniper in front of goal. Uh, I, I was it always beats me. He didn't play more for Chelsea, you know. Obviously under Hullet, and can't blame him because Hughes and Zola really connected well. And then when he took over as player manager, he you know he would take himself out the out the out the team and put himself a sub, you know, or even put himself on the bench. But yeah, I just remember being so happy that Viali scored. That was a big favourite of his. I agree, Dane. I don't think we ever got the full the full no. thing from Viali. We should he should have played every game. He's a brilliant finisher. He didn't he didn't miss brilliant. a lot. He brilliant. did not miss a lot. And you know. so speedy. What a speed yeah. merchant as well. I mean, I. We relied heavily during this season on on a long ball over the top. And that was one of the things that I was trying to work out what system they were playing. Because the number of times that the ball would be lumped up and they'd all run after it like mad things. And they're very speedy. And frequently the ball would bounce once and whoever was there would volley it in on mm. the bounce. And you thought, you know, th- this is clearly practice. It's not just a it's not just a let's hope. You know, it's it's the birth looking up and seeing seeing the player sending it to him. Petresco doing the same. Things being played in one-twos and setting up and then, bap, let's shoot quickly. Let's shoot on sight. Absolutely superb. Indeed. Right. OK, I'm going to move on. Uh, just to wrap up October, which uh, we managed the next match, we managed to go and lose 1-0 to Bolton Wanderers away. Uh, Holdsworth scoring on 72 minutes. And then we had another away match where we managed to win. We beat Aston Villa uh, with a Hughes goal on 38 minutes and a Torrey Andre Flo goal on 82 minutes. Dwight York, I'm delighted to say, missed a penalty by hoofing the ball very wide. Uh, and then uh, the beginning of November, we uh, we lock horns with the, the Vikings again. Uh, but it's a very, very different story, this match. Um, although, I mean, we, we went 1-0 up, uh, so therefore uh, level on aggregate after 13 minutes with Dan Petrescu. Viali put us ahead on aggregate, 2-0 on the night on 24 minutes. But annoyingly, Johansson, one of the many Johanssons, scored on 39 minutes, which effectively, I don't know, it caused my, uh, you know, my stomach to run. Well, I was going to say that. I was going to my sphincter (laughs) to wobble slightly. And actually, that's true. It did wobble more than slightly. But actually, no, no, puckered up is a very different thing, JK. It trembled. It trembled. Uh, anyway, thankfully, uh, Zola scored on 43 minutes, Leberf on 55 with a pen, Viardi scored another couple on 61 and 76, and Dan Petrescu scored on 86 to make it a thumping 7-1 win. But my my uh, my main recollection of that match, uh, Mark, was uh, us singing to the Tromso fans, sing when it's snowing, you only sing when it's snowing. <laughs> can, can I also say there was a weird weirdness that went on after Dan Petrescu's header it, they everybody paid homage to his foot, which I found very tricky to understand. I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was about to say. yeah, noticed that as well, Jacob. Well, they could they could hardly polish his head, could they? <laughs> well, why not? You know. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we then have uh, West. Uh, sorry, Mark. Did you want to comment on that? I, I very oh, no, really... it's fine. I, I was just going to say. Obviously, Viali got a hat trick in that game as well. So, uh, and you know, an- another game where you know he he is sort of like getting the goals for us, but yet he's in and out of the side. Indeed, indeed. We will address that one later. Don't you worry. Um, 
We then play West Ham at home, uh, and uh, very, very. Sorry, sorry, can I just say one thing in the, in the um, uh, in the game that the the guy who was sent off uh, for uh, for handball was clearly trying to protect his cock when the ball hit. Him. <laughs> so it was very, very unfair. And he went up to the ref and said, "I didn't handle it. I had my hand over my cock, and it hit me on the hand." And the referee sent him off for complaining. <laughs> Maybe referee thought he called him a cock. Which which was this the Trom was this the Trom's O seven one? Yeah. Who was he was sent off then? Hanson. Johnny Hanson. <laughs> Johnny Hanson Cock. Was it was it Nielsen? I can't remember. No, it's Hanson. Hanson. Hanson and Neil Neeson. Bumpsy Daisy son. Unbelievable. Okay, where was I before I got sorry, sorry. interrupted with cock? Um Victors and Cox. I know. It's just that you know where this show is going. Yeah, I mean, basically, we got West Ham at home. We win 2 1, uh, courtesy of a Fernand, Ferdinand own goal, uh, Azola goal on 83. Uh, and uh, rather annoyingly, um, uh, John Hartson scored a penalty uh, in the on the 85th minute. There's a great song about uh, Hartson, which I think the Rangers fans came up with actually several years later when he was at Celtic, which was all things bright and beautiful. The Lord God made them all. All things wise and wonderful. John Hartson ate them all. Which I've always loved, actually. I like that very If only much. would have known that song at the time. Mark likes that when he's giggling away there. Um, we then... Uh, Mark, actually, there's something else about the, the, the West Ham programme, which uh, actually it seems to, you know, segue very beautifully into what JK's been, and you, have been going on about all evening, really. It could be a shape of things to come. Like Bates made reference in the West Ham programme about um, Rude Hullet contract talks, and he just says, we've both been too busy. Yeah. Mm. Maybe you know, very, very busy when we sort of get into sort of like yeah, early 98 and what happens next. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's classic Bates, isn't it? It's classic Bates. Um, we've then got uh, the, uh, the next round in the Coca-Cola Cup, the League Cup, and we've got Southampton at home. Guess who scores, Dane? Oh, Kevin Davis. You got it in one. <laughs> we lose one nil. Yeah, another trip. I up. like uh, Davis. I thought Davis was really good. No, this is this is the mm. this is the this is the cup game, uh, Dane. So we don't lose, but Davies opens the scoring oh, on fifty two. But it's a, it's another one that goes to extra time. Uh, but uh, l- luckily this time, it was one one all after full time because Flo scored on sixty one. Uh, but Morris got got, got the winner on uh, one hundred and eighteen minutes. The other thing that I noticed about this chaps is that it was the debut of Nick Crittenden. Who who remembers Nick Crittenden? I, I, I was at the game. I remember I remember him coming on, and I think he takes the throw um, that leads to Jody Morris's winning goal, and it's a cracking goal from Jody as well. Mm. Yes, two minutes ago, corner so of the net, off. right in the corner. It is. Yeah. Crittenden went on to play for Plymouth, Yeovil, Aldershot, Plymouth. He was big at Yeovil, yeah. He was, and then he was Dorchester, Yeovil. where he was player manager. Wow, who knew? Oh, that's amazing knowledge. Uh, so we're anyway, we're through to the next round, which is good. Uh, we then have uh, three more games in November. Rovers, Blackburn Rovers away, Everton at home and Derby at home. Uh, and we come out with uh, all nine points. I'm uh, Actually, no, I'm lying. No, we, we, don't, we, we lose no, to Blackburn. I was there. Yeah. It was absolutely tedious. I, can't, I hated losing to Blackburn. I hated going there. I hated losing, but we lost. Yeah, 1-0. Yeah, Cross scored, there, didn't he? Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, what can you say about Blackburn? Chris Sutton was playing for them. He was. Mm. I remember going up there for Zola's debut and losing 2 0. It's a horrible place to go and oh. lose. Lars Bohinen was playing for them as well. And also some bloke called Duff. He was oh. on the subs bench. Yeah. 
Yeah. They were always a decent. They're decent. A decent side at the time. What, whatever happened to Duff? I don't know. Perhaps he just became a Chelsea great. Well, maybe, maybe he did. And Woy, Woy Hodgson was their manager at the time, of course. Uh, anyway, Everton at home was our next match, which I can confirm we did win. Uh, weird match, though. We won it through two penalties. Uh, one by Wise on 80 and one by Zola on 90 minutes, Dane. Yeah, yeah, that was that, that was a thing. But, but I remember that game. I remember that quite clearly. We was it was yeah. We was we was by far the better team. I think uh, Everton had a spell for about ten minutes uh, fairly late on. But no, we 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 thoroughly deserved that. It was uh, one of those games that would have been travesty if we lost. But we made it hard for ourselves. But luckily, in the end, uh, I'm trying to think who gave away one of the penalties. But yeah, no, Billich, yeah, that was Billich. He got oh, sent Billich, off, yeah, because yeah, I remember. Yeah, sent off. Watching he always did that review. thing of pleading. Always pleads with the referee. Tries to yeah, speak. he looks quite convincing now. Well, he, he's a, he's a qualified lawyer, isn't he? Uh, that's not the well, reason. Why then? Why he he, he was plea that's bargaining. Why. He was he okay? He, was, he always had a good, sincere look on his face. I've, I've always liked Slavin Bilic, I've got to be honest. I, I met him at one of the away games, can't remember which. He was just at a restaurant and we I think he was commentating for somebody. Came over, introduced himself, said he could could he join us at the table. No way. Oh, wow. Yeah, bought him a drink. Charming. What a man. Absolutely charming. And yet it's the same man who got, um, what's his face sent off in the... Uh, Laurent um, Blanc. Laurent Blanc. The, and I, I didn't really... And the fact that when he got what he got hit in the stomach and then clutched his head yeah. and fell over and got sent off was stayed with me a bit. I felt oh, that's a bit unfair. A bit shit, wasn't yeah. it? Really, it did, of course, mean that LeBerth played and then, well, exactly. as a consequence, went round telling everybody that he was a World Cup winner. Exactly and that. And, I, and I, I, I never, I never liked Larry White ever. No, no, no. So that's okay. And you never managed us. There was a period where we. I know, we were... not that long ago. No, no. He was in the frame, apparently. Yeah. Well, you know what? We ended up with Maurizio Sarri. So what could possibly have gone wrong? That was the alternative, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah. Anyway, to wrap up uh, November, uh, Derby 4-0 at home. Wallop them pretty easily. Zola got... Easy bicycle kick. Oh, that's wow. the one, isn't yeah. it? That was yeah. the oh. easy... Yeah. No, there are several ones in the whole season. Popped up, really, you know, really to Soxy Cross. Gets popped up in the air. Any opportunity to smash it in with his... Uh, with his bicycle kick, he was a great player. Bloody hell! Yeah. I remember that. I remember the four nil derby. Yeah, I remember that quite clearly. And Zola hat trick. You, he had this presence about him. Zola, and for some reason, at that game, he just, he just, he made me see him in, a, in, a, in even a different light. Even though I don't know why, because it was only derby. But yeah, he it was a, it was a, it was a, the second goal was a bit of a scuff. But he had this ability as well, like like, like Jay Cade said, to come onto a ball outside the air and a half volley and just bang it in bottom corner. As we're going to discover later player. on in uh, in one of the great goals ever yes. for Chess yes. later on in the season. I nearly missed. <laughs> yeah, hat trick for Zola. Mark, do you remember that one? I do. Yeah, yeah. But again, Hughes goal, brilliant goal, and he repeats it. I think later in the season against Liverpool, if I remember rightly. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And we're level on points at the top, aren't we, Chidge? Well, yeah. Well, actually, do you know what? This is about. Yeah, this was the the high water mark of uh, the the league season, certainly in terms of points. Because you're right. Basically, Man United are top. We're second, but we both have 31 points, so they're ahead. I would imagine on goal difference. So uh, yeah, I mean, they, they had a game in hand. If I remember, they did have a game in hand. Yeah, we played 16. They played uh, 15. So yeah. Always looking bright and sunny on the Chelsea horizon. Uh, and uh, and now we go into December, the last month of the year, obviously. 
halfway through the season approaching. Um, now, JK mentioned earlier, Mark, about the, the Bates bond. Would you like to explain a little bit more? Indeed. He had to finish the Chelsea Village development and JK made reference to the hotels and there was also the flats uh, and two hotels. Um, Bates takes out a euro bond of 75 million. And I think if people listen to this all the way through and then we get into the Abramovich, park this now. You know, the interest rate that Bates negotiated was 8.875%, which works out between you and me about £6 million a year interest alone. So between Bates taking out the bond and Abramovich arriving when we're in financial difficulty, we spend about £42 million just on interest to finish the development. That's quite, quite, quite significant. But the following week, um, Bates gives 30 million to CPO. So they can buy the freehold of Stamford Bridge from the Harding Estate and then give back a 199-year lease so Chelsea will forever play football at Stamford Bridge. And as, as we know, we say it many times on the show when we plug, you know, new plug CPO Chidge, if we ever leave the bridge you know, at any point in the future, Chelsea Football Club name stays with CPO at Stamford Bridge forevermore. Mm. So very significant thing happened in that first week of December. But you have to take your hat, hat off to, to uh, Bates because what he never did in pursuit of um, making the club into a, a, a competitive uh, elite club was to um, pre-sell the season tickets, which of course is, and get money for the season, which of course is what Risdale did at Leeds. And, and then the whole thing came tumbling down. Um, he, he was always on this knife edge, Bates, because of this 75 million. And we'll discover later on with the Abramovich era that he was about to sell everybody to try and pay for the uh, to pay the bomb back. And Abramovich came at exactly the right time. But he seemed to be doing very good business with this, the money that he, he'd uh, uh, he'd borrowed. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, like Bates did very well, he never put any of his own money. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> there is that. There's always that. But, but and also, you know, we all keep going on about the money that Richard Attenborough put in that never got paid back yeah. to him. But I mean, it's a very interesting thing, Dane, isn't it, that comes out of this, that, that kind of weird conflict that, you know, I mean, obviously, it's easier to say this because, you know, we know what happened. So we have that hindsight. But that decision to, to take out that euro bond nearly finished us by 2003, because that's that's really what that's what caused the huge pressure financially and the indebtedness which he was finding it very hard to pay back. So, you know, thanks, Ken. Not a clever decision, really, <laughs> mate. But on the other hand, it, and also really to, to to build this... I mean, the other thing you have to say is to just to build this bloody monstrous edifice to his own ego, which was Chelsea Village, which, you know, frankly screwed up any chance we have of having a decent kind of, uh, you know, a more well, a better tiered uh, shed end, if you like, it's caused huge problems to Chelsea Village in that respect. And yet, on the other hand, he did put uh, loads of that money, 30 million. He, he basically lent 30 million to the CPO with a 199-year lease, which is which has protected the ground and, and the pitch from ever being sold, Dane. So it's it's a weird conflict. That's kind of Bates all over, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it does sum up. But, you know, he would tell you, I still think he did have, some of the time his best in, our best interests are hard i'd love to get his views on it now on on you know over the years now now he you know that connection is quite distant you know if he would ever admit to certain aspects or or tell us certain stories it'd be a, a great interview i 
I don't know what sort of state of health he's in now. He always intrigued me, as I've said to you before, on my Chelsea. You know, I, I when I was a little boy, I used to hang around the stadium and, and talk to the players. I, you, you have a little bit of a, a relationship with him. He'd clout me around the ear roll if I was a, or around the head if I was a bit cheeky. And so you had a relationship with him. So I always I actually saw him as like a, like a, an old uncle or something who I was quite fond of. And I, I do believe he had our best interests at heart. But yeah, some of those decisions that that cost us almost going into bankruptcy and and ultimately blessing in disguise of Bramwich taking over. But I'm sure, you know, Bates sold it a lot earlier than he wanted to. Mm. I don't think it was going to be bankruptcy at the time. He was just going to sell everybody. You know, Ter- John Terry had been up, up at Liverpool. When, when we get there, oh, Jake, we were in danger of going out of business. Yeah, we were a week yeah. away. I mean, really? I've heard, and I'm sure Mark will back me up on this, but I heard at the time and have forever since that we were one week away from going into administration. Really? Yes. Wow. That's how tight it was. And mm. I tell you, you know, we may thank Bates for doing the CPO and keeping the club at Stamford Bridge forevermore, but I tell you, you know, if they're going to erect a statue to anybody at that club, the next person should be Trevor Birch. Trevor Birch, absolutely. Because yeah. the job he did in in the, the stuff that's been written about this that's well worth reading. It's just Google it. Trevor Birch, Chelsea, right? B I R C H. Uh, but uh, the work he did in finding, you know, trying to find somebody to come and invest in the club and buy the club was absolutely fantastic. And he was one of the best of his of his type in in the game. Financial men in football in the game and we owe him i would say a huge debt of gratitude um anyway back to the football because there are two games in december which again uh one is both remembered for completely different reasons the next one is arguably i would say apart from the trophies arguably the best game of the season the highlight of the season not least because it's always fun to beat spurs uh, at white hart lane but even more fun to absolutely wallop them 6-1 and we know for a fact, because we've all been going, you know, much longer than this, but certainly since then, that this is a song that's always sung still now and, and probably always will be, and rightly so. Um, Mark, uh, I'm going to let you do this one and let the others chip in, because I'm sure they were both there, JK. You do the song, you say. We won 6-1. We won 6-1. We, we won 6-1. Oh, yeah. We won 6-1. Oh, yes, I was there. I was going out with a really dreadful girl at the time, and I was really pleased. <laughs> Pleased to be able to get away and watch the okay. team. Well, you can tell us about your, your version of the events with Day in a minute, because I'm going to get Mark to lead this one off, because he's written me some hilarious notes, which are well worth listening to. Well, obviously, um, Tottenham was no different to us. Ground redevelopments taking place at that time. So Chelsea only got 850 tickets. So uh, lucky enough, um, Chelsea Magazine asked me to cover the game, so I had a press pass. Um, so the press box then, because of the redevelopment, um, was behind the bench at Tottenham, but in front of the Tottenham fans. So I ended up um, having a seat next to Neil Barnett. And the protocol in the press office is you are meant to be independent, shall we say. You know, you're not meant to show your colours. Uh, but what a, what an amazing game. Obviously, Christian Ghost, Ghost, Christian Gross's first game as manager, I think it was. Yeah, with with his train ticket. Um, so um, one all at half time, but then we tear him apart in the second half. Um, and like Neil Barnett says to me, when it gets to three one, you know, I don't really care if we get four, we're getting up and cheering, Mark. You know, and we did, and then we did it again on the fifth, and we did it again on the sixth, as the Tottenham fans behind us were absolutely going mad. You know, 
yeah, we weren't being impartial. I think they wanted us to chuck that out of the press box. Who bloody cared, you know? Um, but the, the other bits as well is because we only had 850 tickets and you can't ban a Chelsea fan, um, some resourceful Chelsea fans ended up um, sitting in the Tottenham section. Um, and obviously some of the songs from the 850, you're the worst team in London, they started gross out chants. But I mentioned him before, one of my predecessors at the Chelsea Independent, um, a guy called Nick Brown. Nick was in the Spurs end and he actually started the song, obviously when it got to 6-1, you're not fit to wear the shirt. Yeah, and all the home fans around him joined him. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the yeah, and I think when I did you know my you know my Chelsea and I did my top twenty, I, I I think I missed this one out, and I can't believe I missed this game out. This is one of the best games ever away from home, and actually the best game ever at White Hart Lane. It was unfortunately unbelievably scary getting out after the game because the the uh, large numbers of Spurs fans waited for us outside the away end and were, the police attempted to push them back. Um, and then they waited for us in the, uh, what's the name? Is it in, not White Hart Lane itself. Seven was Sisters. It? Seven, Seven Sisters, yeah. Waited for us there. And there were huge pitch battles. It was actually very difficult to find anywhere to hide because that's what I do in these situations. <laughs> and um, um, uh, so I, I cowered a little bit of fun behind several police horses and policemen and generally sort of just... Um, um, secreted myself in areas thinking I don't think I'm going to get back to the tube for a bit or anywhere. I, 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 I missed all of the fighting because I was in the, um, the, the press conference afterwards and it was absolutely brilliant where you got your dictaphone, I've got a bottle of Carlsberg in my hand and all because the journalists were pro Tottenham back in those days, you had people like Harry Harris and that, you yeah. know, putting your dictaphone down and that press protocol where everybody gets asked a question and I can't even remember the question I asked Rude. But like I was having a beer and I thought, this, this is the life. You know, we've won 6-1 at Tottenham. You know, I'm interviewing the Chelsea manager and someone's paying me to do it and I'm drinking beer for free. Oh, wow. Life doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. <laughs> and just to say, Flo played wonderfully in this game. I mean, an absolutely brilliant performance, solo performance. I mean, with was Zola, Zola weaving is, he got a hat trick, Zola weaving is magic. But the last one was a, such a brilliant, put in by Leboeuf, another huge, huge, chip over the top and he just ran onto it and uh, just chipped it over himself he chipped it over uh, was it walker in goal just um, yeah. brilliant. brilliant it was a beautiful chip wasn't it and uh, you're right you know zola had four assists so he was very instrumental in that dane but apart from i mean talking about Flo, who who i, I always loved to pieces as a striker and i think very underrated and, and and i think a great shame that his career didn't blossom in perhaps the way it could and should have done at chelsea but what, what are your memory i mean i presume you were there so no, no. no. Uh, I, I've, I've been to uh, White Hart Lane on many occasions. Uh, talk about that walk down from Seven Sisters was horrible. Uh, never seen us lose there, but on this time, I didn't manage to get a ticket. I didn't mm -hmm. try and get one because I uh, I thought I was working, but the last minute, I, I, I was allowed to have the day off. So it was one of those rare occasions at Stamford Bridge where they opened Stamford Bridge and you could go there and watch it on the big tellies in the bar. In, in, within the Matthew yeah, Hardin stand, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, That's so we right. went, we yeah. all went in there and watched Beanbags. it, and yeah. and yeah, and uh, I remember a couple of times we, we used to be in in the East Stand and they'd put, a, I can't remember what games they were, a big screen up, but no, this time yeah, we was in the bars within Matthew Hardin, and uh, yeah, it was a great performance. I was really impressed with Di Matteo. Di Matteo was really, I thought was 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 bordering on world class for us. You know, he's a box to box midfielder who had it all. 
he had a you know his goal scoring that season was was really impressive for for a midfielder and I was uh, really really impressed with him and he was slowly becoming my favorite player mm. yet bizarrely he play, played Nichols who of course scored and Hullet said he thought he had the world at his feet Nichols do you remember him saying that yeah, it's oh. funny though if you get these players that come along and if you look at Mark Nichols's career after he left Chelsea it went down so quick and you know they become like a manager, a certain manager's player, and they will they will play them, they will rotate them, and they'll do a job, a bit like Chiloba did for us under Conte, and then then it just sort of just goes down, and they're, they're clearly just that manager who, who sees what he brings to the team, and then you you get that. if you look because they play well in the, the structure, don't they? And yeah, and then the next manager they, comes they, in, and he it, it just yeah. doesn't fit in. But I I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd love to do you know, like a, a good look at players who, who've, who've had that role under a certain manager. And 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 then when a new manager comes in, they just completely just, you know, the, the door's there and they walk out of it. You know, it's, it's interesting what, what Mark was saying about Nick Brown and uh, mates in the Tottenham end uh, doing the, you know, you're not fit to wear the shirt. Because I'm damn sure I remember Chell Tell telling me a story of a visit to Spurs. He was in the Paxton Lane end. And Spurs are on getting humped by us. It could well have been this match, but it, I mean, you know, let's face it, it could have been a number of matches where we've smashed Tottenham away. Uh, but he remembers being in their end and doing a chant of "sack the board, sack the board, sack the board." On that one, that one uh, got legs after he did that. Dane, I remember, I remember being in. Yeah, we we the time no Chelsea fans were allowed in because they was doing up their stadium. And I think we beat them four yeah. one, and quite a few of us was in the Tottenham end. Kerry's one hundred fiftieth goal. Uh, yeah, I remember being in that in in that game, and we was yeah we 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 didn't celebrate the first or second goal, but the third goal we did, and yeah, it, it, it got a bit uh, tasty. I was only like fourteen, fifteen, yeah. sixteen, I think. Mark, um, Dane mentioned Mark Nichols. It was very interesting. Yeah, Hullet seemed to like Mark Nichols, but mm. uh, Mark Nichols was actually um, player manager of my local team a few years ago with Neil Shipperley. North Greenford United. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, him and Shipley about 10 years ago. And he, he actually came back a few years ago and he turned out again for North Greenford United. Mark Nichols, I think he's had about 20 clubs. Mm. Yeah. Dane's absolutely right. After he left Chelsea, yeah, he went and he did a lot of non league teams. He, he's played for most of the non league teams around where I live. I think he's played for Hayes, he's played for Hendon, he's played for Uxbridge. You know, yeah, he's he, he certainly done the tour of non-league football. Yeah, in his time. Yeah, yeah. Isn't well, it funny though, Mark? How a player was trusted by Rude Hullet yeah, to do a good job, it? even if it was on squad rotation. Yeah. Ben couldn't even get a Premier League move when he when he when he leaves Chelsea. Yeah. He scored a couple of decent goals after this as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coventry gets a couple of goals in that yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, there we go. More clubs than Tiger Woods, as they say. Now. Um, <laughs> It's weird, isn't it? Because earlier in the season, we played Arsenal and then Man United consecutively. So, you know, the two best teams in the league and, you know, teams that we often get on the wrong end of. And and now in December, we're playing our most hated teams back to back, which I find quite curious because following the uh, 6-1 away to Spurs, we then play Leeds at home. And I mean, again, this is a much remembered and talked about game and has been ever since for completely different reasons. It was nil nil. Although in truth, I think we battered them and should have battered. won. Yeah, battered. should have should have won easily. But the the real headline about this, just kind of run off who was booked and who was sent off in this match. Uh, Nichols, Di Matteo, Wise were booked for us. Robertson, Kelly, Radibi. I mean, Kelly was booked in the second minute. Radibi, <laughs> Harland, Ribeiro were all booked for Leeds, and Harland and Kelly were both sent off. So Leeds were playing with nine men. 
Um, Graham Pohl was the referee, so maybe he was practicing his three-card trick and sending people off twice for the hell of it. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, you know, ten yellows and two reds, which is quite remarkable. But I mean, the thing is, I mean, Leeds were managed by George Graham at the time, uh, and clearly, you know, Jonathan will probably remember, remember this kind of bizarrely quite fondly because it would have reminded him very much of the dirty lead side of the late 60s, early oh, they 70s. They came out kicking us completely from the very from beginning. minute two. From minute, yeah. More, even earlier, minute one, they were doing it. They never, they went all the way through the game kicking us. And of course, they did that dreadful thing of, of singing at the end, We've only, we only had nine men. They all <laughs> sang that at us, which really pissed me off. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was it was so annoying. And Graham went on the pitch, if I remember, and pranced about like an elf, you know, because he was so <laughs> pleased that they hadn't uh, they hadn't lost. Yeah, I mean they parked the bus because they kind of had to with nine men, but hugely yeah. frustrating, Dane, and uh, somewhat brutal. Yeah, I used to find I remember obviously people were know obviously Harland one we've been linked with recently i used to find his dad so annoying he was another one used to go around and kick people and just try and be this dirty player that he wasn't so i was never bothered that time keen left one on him well you can understand why he probably did oh yeah yeah he was annoying as fuck but yeah i remember that game as well yeah one of those gate one of those days at Stamford bridge that was so frustrating and and everything about that from the very first minute you just knew that you just had a feeling that it was, I thought it was going to scrape a one nil. I could just see them. I remember uh, years later when we played QPR under Benitez and we, you know, and they, they, they snuck a one nil and I could just see uh, Lee. I was hoping Leeds wouldn't sneak it, but yeah, it was a very frustrating game. Very frustrating. It was indeed. Mark, what are your memories? Yeah, dirty Leeds, not even done cheap. Yeah. No, no, exactly. Um, I thought I thought the more remarkable thing about this: all the cards were in the first half. Mm. There wasn't mm. a single card issued by Graham Pole in the second half. They'd done the damage in the first half and then parked the bus for the second. It was a horrible game. Yeah, old, old, old school leads with George Graham as manager kicking us off the park. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so but remembered to this day, I think for that for that reason, we finish off the year uh, with a, a, a handsome four-one win away to Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, Petrescu, Viali, Leboeuf penalty and Flo scoring for us. Uh, then a 1-1 draw at home to Wimbledon with Viali scoring again and Husey. And uh, and then the last match of the year uh, was against Southampton away, which is where... As, oh, yeah, that's, yeah that's, the one that's, I went, that's the one I went to. Yeah. That's your Kevin Davies goal, mate. But, <laughs> the, I mean, we, we end up uh, at the end of the year, um, I mean, in third position. So... You know, but we should have been higher, Chidge. It was well, dreadful, we, these we, things. You, you know? can't be much higher. Too many errors. But too many errors going on. You know, Sinclair constantly made an error. You know, in the in the 1-1, one, one, he made a terrible error. The feeble back pass and uh, Hughes, it was, who nipped in to make it 1-1. One, one. It's just, it was a kind of constant with, I don't know why he kept playing him. He was, he was, he just wasn't good enough for the kind of team that I felt that, that Chelsea were trying to create. And once again, it was this rotation. I just didn't get it in the league. I didn't all. think much of the defence was JK that year I thought we was quite poor that's where our weakness uh, was certainly yeah. wasn't it I would agree with that mm. but I mean look the reality is is that you know at this stage of the season we're in two cups still uh, the FA Cup's to come we'll talk more about that in part two um, but you know we are third we're two points behind Blackford and Rovers in second and seven points behind United so I, you know that is a better position than we've been in since the since ninety the late sixties and nineteen seventies. So, you know, I for one was was still thinking, you know what? 
we're not out of this yet. We're not out of this yet. But I think, you know, the wise old head that is JK was probably thinking, we're not good enough because Frank Sinclair's playing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're just upset because he we're dropped not his good shorts. We're not good enough because Andy Myers is playing. Yeah. We're not good. We're not good enough because there are people playing in this. I don't understand why. Yeah. In, in those days, in those days, LeBouf needed a prime JT next to him because LeBouf had the errors in him as well. He was such yeah, he a did. capable defender. Brilliant yeah. as he would come out with the long balls, but he really yeah. needed a solid British player next but to I, him. But I, I think, I think, I mean, I'd be interested to hear what Marx is about this before we, we wrap up part one. But you know, this this is such a clap. I mean, you know, this is the why Chelsea got the reputation in the in the late nineties uh, as a cup side, because on our day we could beat anybody. We would. I mean, actually, I mean, I, I'll mention this at the end in the summary. But you know, we we only have three draws all season. In the league, and uh, in fact, it might have been in the whole the whole year, whole season. So we either won or we lost. And you know, if we won, we we would quite often hump teams. But you know, we were equally capable as ever of losing to anybody. So it was kind of in that sense classic Chelsea, wasn't it, Mark? Or yeah, what what people is, like to think is classic Chelsea, perhaps glorious unpredictability, as Mr. Worrell would say. Mm. You know, the, the sides we lost to, you know, we lost to Southampton, we lost to Bolton. You know, and, you know, put it this way, if we hadn't lost to Southampton, hadn't lost to Bolton and not had a nil-nil with Leeds, you know, would have been very close on Manchester United tells. Or, it's or drawn possible. with Wimbledon or, yeah, all of those, all of those little yeah, moments of not, you know, yeah. lost to Villa. You know, yeah. it, it was that kind of thing. You just come on. They're a better, you're a better side than this. We, we were, in a, you know, still in a good spot, as you say, but it begins to go horribly wrong as we'll talk about in the second we will and at that juncture it's time to say uh farewell uh because we'll be covering all of that in part two so don't go away and come back to us for the part two of this 1997 to 98 season